0: 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit
1: it! Ah!
2: Anybody notice how news from the border has basically dried up like the Sahara over the past few months? Border agents are still struggling under a massive wave of migrants and border towns can't accommodate all of the illegal aliens being dumped in their streets. But the media is nowhere to be found. Probably because if they bothered to do their jobs, it would lend an awful lot of credibility to Trump's claim that we have got a crisis on our hands and Democrats seem to have exactly zero interest in fixing it. But you know, turning a blind eye to something doesn't make it go away, and it sure as heck doesn't mean that we have forgotten about it. So here are a few facts that CNN doesn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Did you know that in the Rio Grande Valley sector alone, border agents say they are arresting more than 1100 illegal aliens a day? In fact, in the first seven months of this fiscal year, they've already surpassed their apprehension totals for all of fiscal year 2018, and that's just one sector. The problem's gotten so bad, they don't have anywhere to put these people, so they're simply dumping them into local border communities with nothing but a good luck and a notice to appear in court. According to the latest report, CBP is releasing 1,400 illegal aliens into the United States every single day. If that holds, it comes to about 42,000 people every month. And there's nowhere for them to go. The mayor of Yuma, Arizona has already declared a state of emergency because the local shelters are filled beyond capacity and the town simply doesn't have the resources to house and feed all these people. The situation is so strained that Yuma officials now say they're concerned that all these migrants will end up coming to blows with local residents who are just looking to protect their own homes and property. Oh, and by the way, these aren't just innocent women and children streaming across the border in search of a better life. Fox News obtained border security footage this week showing a group of heavily armed human smugglers toting AK-47s, escorting a woman and her son over the Mexican border and into Arizona. Now you would think that a group of politicians so concerned over gun violence would be a little worried that groups of guys carrying high powered rifles are just meandering over the Rio Grande, but hey, maybe if we let the nice human traffickers join the NRA, it would get some attention. And lest anyone fool you, it's not our guys who are abusing poor migrant children. In the middle of the night on Tuesday, border agents found a three-year-old migrant boy crying alone in a Texas cornfield after being abandoned by his smugglers. He had nothing with him but the clothes on his back and his name and some phone numbers written on his shoes. Now, I don't know the last time Nancy Pelosi spent the night in a Texas cornfield all by her lonesome, but it's not exactly the safest place for a toddler, yet that's where he was dumped all by people that we're supposed to think are just serving humanity and helping poor refugees. Right, this is the situation at the border. This is what the media refuses to show you. It is a crisis. Our border towns are overwhelmed, our facilities are busting at the seams, our immigration system is in a free fall, and more people who are not as lucky as that little boy will quite literally die if we don't get it under control.
3: Good afternoon, good
4: evening, good morning, whatever time you decided to listen here today. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to the fifth episode of what used to be called Live with Lou when we were live on AM, FM radio, but now it's called No Hostages Radio. And you can find us at a variety of places. Obviously, if you're listening today, you stumbled across this probably at nohostagesradio.com or one of the uh, your app sources, like with iTunes or Google Play. Maybe you've got it, got us at No Hostages Radio. But it's just simple to tell your friends, uh, those that have been lost, uh, been used to listening to us over the last five or six years. If they want to know where Lou Benninger went, he's now at nohostagesradio.com. It's our own website, and on that website we'll post All our episodes, plus we'll post some articles that I wrote for a uh, Northern California newspaper called Territorial Dispatch, and you can get that paper hard copy up here in Northern California in Yuba, Sutter, Nevada counties, or you can get it online, the newspaper, at TerritorialDispatch.biz, TerritorialDispatch.biz. So we're glad you're here, and we'll be here for about three hours. That's uh, about our or our maybe close to two hours, 50 minutes, something like that. Uh, we don't have, because it's podcasts, podcast, we don't have any of the typical advertisements. We don't have to stop for any of the national news media to take breaks. But uh, we will take a few breaks. It gives me a breather, and also it gives me a chance to play some clips that I've picked over the last seven days that I think are relevant and helpful to you and to me that's why i picked him i i learned something and i'm hoping that you'll learn something as well we are a <clears throat> we are kind of a no profit operation but uh it's something that i run and some of my friends got me into radio years ago although i didn't have any experience in radio and they helped fund me uh pay uh, fund some time on a am fm station and so if you're interested in, in being on the radio with us or on this podcast, you can you can help us out if you like what you hear. But we have a few people that support us. One is Elite Universal Security, and that's a security business in Northern California. We call it up here in the north. In the north twenty four counties, we call it the state of Jefferson. And there's a fellow named Monty Hecker that started this business in Yuba County, but expanded it in, in nearby counties, New in Yuba. Sutter Butte and then up into Shasta County and they're looking for customers and they're looking for workers they've been uh, they've been expanding for a while they they have a lot of business they've been around for many years and their business is growing so it's in one way it's kind of sad that we even need to have a security business we have law enforcement of course that we pay for with our tax dollars but on top of that uh, many people feel that they need To hire a security business to protect them or keep people from taking what doesn't belong to them or to manage a crowd or to uh, when they're away from work like farmers away from their equipment that somebody's watching over their equipment or even construction sites or big events. So uh, elite universal security can help you with uh, with guards and it can also help you get a job being a guard. Uh, you can call them at or you can go you can reach out to them online you can call them at 530 749 0280 let me give you that again 530 749 0280 obviously they'll answer 24 hours a day every day of the week and you can go on their uh a website called api-academy.com and you can look at all their schooling opportunities there if you say man I I need a job and I'd like maybe I could do that guard business and or be a security officer and then maybe that would lead into law enforcement and uh it can and so they can provide you with a lot of the classes through, through their academy and uh, if you're looking for a concealed weapons license or permit, they can help you get that. They will do that for you. And they have a class coming up on uh, May 11th and 12th and then on the, t- on the 25th and 26th. Those are two classes that are coming up, weekend classes. One day is in the classroom. The next day is at the range. If you w- want to renew your license, you can do that as well through them. So they um, they also have some taser and uh, taser classes, pepper spray classes that they'll help you with as well. The other thing that they do that that a lot of times is a hassle to get done is get a live scan done. You can get them done through the uh, law enforcement agencies. Some of the law enforcement agencies do them, but they usually do them just certain times of the day and certain days of the week. But if you just say, I, I need to get it in now... You can call that number, they'll do a live scan, or sometimes uh, many people go years and years and years without needing a notary service, but all of a sudden you need a notary service and uh, they can help you with that. They'll come. They're a mobile notary service. They'll come to where you are, a business, you're at a business, you need to sign some documents, do something, Uh, they will help you do that. So that's Monty Hecker at Ali Universal Security. Well, there's a couple others, but I'll wait to get to them later, but I wanted to talk about a few things in this first segment. We're going to do uh six segments here today. So, uh I read this uh quote by one of our founding fathers, Samuel Adams, and I thought, "Man, this really captures uh the state of situ- of the situation today throughout the United States." He says uh, back in 1775, just think of that, 1775, he says, no people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can any be easily subdued. When knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved, in other words, when knowledge is diffused, people are knowledgeable, and virtue is preserved, people behave themselves he says that, let me just say it another way, that no people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can any be easily subdued by either a uh, an out-of-control government, a dictatorship, or a foreign power. He says, he goes on to say, on the contrary, when people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, that's just the, the opposite. Debauched is just the opposite of having virtue. They are debauched in their manners, Samuel says. They will sink under the weight without aid of foreign invaders. So I'm going to read it all once again so you'll get it. This is in 1775, Samuel Adams. Who would have thought that he would be prophetic in describing the situation in the United States of America today when he says, no people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can e- any be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under their own weight without aid of foreign invaders. So when I went to uh, school in the California school system in the northern California area, I went to school system in Yuba County, Marysville area, and I attended all the uh, right up. Grammar school on up through high school and then started Yuba College. But they had a focus throughout the entire uh, later elementary school years and in the high school years on civics, knowing how the government works knowing what the government doing was doing, who the different offices, what the different offices of government was, how a bill would be passed. Uh, we had to know elements of the Constitution and on and on. So there was a lot of knowledge about how the, the government worked, about how the selective system worked at that time, voting worked, et cetera, et cetera, and there was a focus on virtue, and uh, even though your your people, my people didn't go to church, and I didn't, they, they weren't anti-church, they weren't for church, they just didn't know anything about church or Jesus, but they still had, there was a virtue in our family, and they taught hard work and honesty and respect and uh, not taking advantage of people being kind to people being generous etc that's what we call virtue so uh, pretty interesting and uh, Samuel Adams uh, called that many years ago today it, it we're at a, a place where it's difficult to find people that want to be in law enforcement because there is a growing disrespect amongst a minority of the people uh, towards law enforcement and and Back in when I was going to school, being raised in the 50s and 60s, there was a great respect for law enforcement, people in the military. There was a respect for anybody in authority, whether they were uh, uh, representing your party or not. There was a respect for all older people. Uh, There was respect for teachers. uh, And this may sound uh, hokey to some of you or a cliche cliche ish. But if you got in trouble at school, generally you got in trouble twice. You got in trouble at school, and then you got in trouble at home for getting trouble at school. Uh, usually the people at home knew the people at school, and they knew what kind of people they were. So if you were disrespectful to them, uh, that was a cause for getting into trouble a second time. So uh, you knew the implications if you were to act up. And uh, now today there's a lot of acting up and acting out. Uh, In our society, both with parents, uh, towards parents, towards school teachers and people in authority, which is uh, what Samuel Adams was describing here. A lack of virtue. And if you uh, you can go on and find these all over the Internet on YouTube of interviews with people about the basics of our society, the the uh, the different branches of government. What the Fourth of July means, when the Constitution was put together, what the you know what certain holidays are, who certain key people are in the country. Most people, even college graduates, can't even describe that. So that's Samuel Adams. No people will tamely surrender their liberties. No, they won't, nor can any be easily subdued. Now I was just I was just watching um, on the internet. So amazing. It's so amazing. I remember watching uh, years ago Tiananmen Square. That Tiananmen Square is a massive concrete square in uh, Beijing, China, where the Forbidden City is and many of their government buildings. And the students had a demonstration there in the late 80s. It seemed like it was about like 1989, but I could be off a year or so. But they made a a big demonstration that was prior to uh, mass Internet usage or cell phone usage. So there was a put down of that demonstration by the uh, Chinese government. And they put down, they used flamethrowers. They drove over people. Uh, Thousands, they say, were killed. But throughout the rest of China, they never heard about this. They've heard about it years and years and years later. But they never heard about it when it was happening. And so thousands of young people, college-age students and older high school students, were killed because they were really campaigning for more of a democratic or free, freer country. And the government got fed up with it and put it down. Now, the reason they were able to do that is, is there is no Second Amendment or, or freedom to own a gun in these, in these countries. The only people that have guns are the communist military and criminals. And so uh, I was watching the news the uh, on on the internet because I don't have a television hooked up, and I noticed that these um, assault vehicles, thick steel like military assault vehicles with no windows in them, but just little slits, you know, like a tank without a without a gun on it, and uh, they were running over the top of protesters in Venezuela. Uh, and killing you know i don 't know whether they died, but they if they if they survived, it was by accident because they were running uh, over the top of folks, and I thought that would never have happened if they hadn't have removed all the guns in uh, Venezuela, and at one time, Venezuela was what we would say the United States of South America, it was the most prosperous country it still has some of the greatest oil reserves in the world. And it was a free country. It was the uh, had the admiration of South America, certainly. And now uh, as the people thought, oh, we'll try socialism. And what it's done in a matter of a couple of decades is is now they have uh, millions have left the country, millions and millions of people have uh, died or fled or they say if if you are still living there you've probably lost 20 or more pounds they call it the maduro diet sarcastically because there's just nothing to eat there's no food in the stores whenever government takes over an industry the industry usually collapses so whether it's farming like they did in vietnam and china and russia they couldn't produce enough food to, to feed themselves uh, or whatever the whatever the product is, for instance, the oil oil companies, they can't produce enough oil or gasoline in Venezuela right now to take care of their own fuel. Is that amazing? And that's because the government is running the entire oil business. They ran all the um, the foreign nationals off. And so what you're have hap- you're seeing Samuel Adams, 1775 played out before you said no people will tamely surrender their liberties. Uh, They tamely surrendered their liberties in Venezuela. Uh, They were easily subdued. Uh, They bought into a lie. Many times you can believe something that sounds good, but it's actually, uh, it's a wrong choice, and it'll have bad fruit to it. And he's, or he said, uh, Samuel Adams, can anyone easily be subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved? But people lacked, became uh, ignorant in Venezuela. And we can't point fingers because we're in the same, same spot here in the United States. People may have a degree. They may be a teacher, but they are ignorant of what founded this country and the driving philosophical power that drove this country to greatness. And But he says, on the contrary, when people are universally ignorant, and that's where we've had, whether it's intentional or uh, unintentional, or a little of both. Uh, We have a a universal ignorant populace. And we certainly have a debauched uh, community. We actually have people, as I've talked about over the last couple weeks, teachers that should be educating their kids and being a role model, a moral role model to kids, now are having sex with their children in their schoolroom. In other words, the same kids they're supposed to be teaching in the eighth grade, or as a freshman or sophomore, or maybe even younger than the eighth grade, they're having sex with them. Now, that's what we call debauched. And um, and we actually are hiring teachers that have been um, exposed as molesters, that are exposed right here in Yuba Sutter in, uh, Yuba and uh Sutter counties in northern California. It's happening throughout California. I can't speak for you over there, and I know a lot of you have been listening over there in Missouri and some in Idaho and a couple other states. But I can't speak for your states, but I, I am a familiar with what's shaking here. I do know that throughout the United States, WorldNetDaily, or WND.org, uh, they are keeping track uh, of p- particularly female teachers. This is a rage among female teachers having sex with their uh, underage boys. But sometimes it's a girl, it's homosexual, sexual behavior. Uh, That's what we call debauchery. So Samuel Adams said, when people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under their own weight without the aid of a foreign invader. In other words, you're not going to be taken out by foreigners. You're going to be taken out because of your lack of ability to make good, moral, righteous judgments and to keep yourself in line. Right? Uh, So, that's just the way it is. Now, there's always, if you if you watch any social media, a lot of it's just goofy stuff. But sometimes somebody will say something or repeat something that is fascinating. It causes you to stop and think. So you notice that some very wealthy parents here in the last few months, very wealthy parents, have spent incredible amounts of money that I was just shocked that they would even... I guess money is like water to them, but they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and paid off people to get their kids in some of the wealthiest schools or not the wealthiest schools, but some of the most prestigious schools in the United States. And uh, and they paid off. Like coaches and and different administrative people to get them in, and even paid off people to go and take the entrance exam for the for the student, their own student, in other words, a person that's very bright and knew how to take that exam, they would go in and pay off the person giving in other words, they cheated the whole thing was a big fraud and a cheat, and people are making millions of dollars off parent once parents learned how to do this, they wanted their kid, "Hey, I got all this money, I want my kid to go to say yale or Princeton or Harvard or Stanford or whatever. And so they just lie and cheat, steal uh, to get, get the people in. And so this quote says, if this country, in this country, if you cheat to get into college, you go to jail. Now, whether these people go to jail or not, I don't know. They're probably going to get some kind of fine. Uh, But they're referring to people getting caught and being prosecuted. I think that's the point. You might say, if you cheat to get into college, you might get prosecuted. However, if you cheat to get into this country, you go to college for free. Like I have the friend that's starting college right now. And, uh, and she is a, a DACA person, right? She was in this country. She's a youngster and she doesn't have papers, but she's starting college and she's going to go to college for free. She didn't, she didn't come across the border herself intentionally illegally, but she was, had parents that did. So, uh, let me say that again. If the, if this country in this country, if you cheat to get into college, you go to jail. If you cheat to get in this country, then you can go to college for free. Kind of interesting. So I am fascinating. I'm fascinated by every week now there is a a comparison between Obama and and. President Trump about the employment rate, about, you know, different statistics of when they were in office uh, comparatively, like their popularity, gross domestic product. So here's another one this week. And again, to me, they're somewhat unfair in some ways, but then somewhat not, because uh, sometimes the policy of a a president can allow business to flourish, or the policies of a president can uh, uh, allow business just to hold on and to retract and to shrink back because of high regulations and high taxes. So, and and it depends on the the time uh, in the in history that you take over the country. Obama took over the country when it was in a a, a deep recession, uh, and uh, Trump took over the country when it was more stable, but still not in great shape. So they they compared Obama his. Unemployment rate at nine point nine percent nationally to Donald Trump's unemployment rate at three point nine percent, nine point nine versus three point nine. Now, this is what I love is that everybody and that are not everybody, but a lot of liberals will argue about, well, women, you know, women are struggling because they're unemployed. They always you know, if you're a white man. You're, you're, they never want to talk about your situation, but minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, et cetera. But when you look at the statistics for African-Americans, don't you agree that during even the Bush years and years before that, Clinton years and Obama years, the, the number of unemployed, particularly young blacks – and the, when they could or should have been out going to college or really making some money and moving on up, they had a huge unemployment rate. And they list African Americans here as sixteen point one percent unemployment under Obama, and they compare that to the Trump African Americans as six point six. That's ten percent lower. Now, what they keep saying is for as long as we have kept records of unemployment and broke them down according to ethnicity. In other words, we've kept records for unemployment way back. But just in the last 50 years, they started to break it down according to different minorities. But even uh, women went from 8.7 percent unemployment to 3.8 percent unemployment under Trump. Obama under Obama, 12.8 percent Hispanics unemployed to 4.4 percent under Trump. Now, you may hate Trump. You may hate. You may be a, a staunch Democrat, but I always, if I was, a, a, a declined to declare or a neither. If I was a neither party, I, what I'm into is people doing well. I mean, I don't know why we can't just arrive there. What would you agree would be a good thing? I I agree with. Hey, I don't. I want people to do well. I want them to be healthy, have a good job, be able to go out and buy what they want, and uh, do what they want. And have have freedom. Right. So under Obama, uh, the gross domestic product, which is like the production of all the stuff we make and and create in the country, his gross domestic product was shrinking at negative two point five percent and average per quarter or month. And uh, the gross domestic domestic product under Trump is plus three percent, which is. That's healthy. Usually economists like that. Three percent is healthy. Four percent is ripping. So uh, just again, they're just comparisons. And I just you can look anywhere on the Internet. And uh, I mean, if you if you're a a never Trumper, don't bother. But if you want to read some fascinating stuff, the number of car businesses that are moving back into places that when I grew up, Detroit and. Uh, I don't know, Ohio, some of those places back there were huge car uh, manufacturing businesses. They th- they were huge uh, places to get a great job, and they were booming economies. And so we saw those as the car businesses left the country, went to Asia. We saw those uh, those cities like Detroit just looked like bombed. It looked like a war zone. Uh, but now under President Trump, with uh, different companies moving back in, the nation, because of favorable uh, trade policies, favorable uh, regulation policies, and uh, better tax situations, lower taxes, etc., lower corporate taxes, they're moving back in to uh, create uh, products here for the world. So, to me, that's a great thing. Uh, now, maybe you're so adamant about your political philosophy, your liberal philosophy, if that's it. I don't know how many liberals would listen to this show. But, it, you know, even to me, uh, if there's no liberals listening, uh, my feeling is if I was a liberal, I would still appreciate the fact that people were going to work and, and having happy families and doing well. So uh, so that's, that's that. I'm just going to leave that there. I wanted to talk about— uh, Taxes for a minute, because in California, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but in California, we are having a a complete meltdown with taxes and uh, and the big issue here is that the the government of California has been uh, ruled uh, has changed from generally conservative years and years ago, to the last 40 to 50 years, primarily liberal. And now where the liberals control uh, both houses of the government, the assembly and the Senate, and they have a liberal uh, governor. And they can do just about whatever they want. And and over the last 40 years, they almost could do that as well. And so they've, we have, uh, because of their policies, have some of the Highest taxes in the nation. Some some individual taxes are the very highest. Like we have a 13.1% state tax rate, and some t- states don't have any taxes, no state taxes on income. So you find rich people moving to those states because that's 13.1% more of their income they get to put in, their, keep in their pocket. That's on top of all the other taxes you pay. If you look at all the taxes you pay, there's some websites that list all the taxes you pay, and uh, you can find maybe you pay about a hundred different taxes and fees in a particular over a particular year. But California is loaded with taxes, and uh, so we pay the high some of the highest gas taxes in the country. Uh, but the odd thing is, we have some of the worst services. We have the one, one of the worst school systems, not the worst, but one of the worst school systems in the country. Uh, we, it, it doesn't matter which agency you look at in st- none of our state agencies are like top stellar, uh, you know, nationally renowned agencies for anything. You can look at any agency in the state government and, uh, we have some, we have the highest paid legislature in the, st- in, in the United States. We have some of the highest salaries in the United States and, um, We have some of the worst services. We have some of the worst roads in the United States. So now what's happening is the the state government has, uh, as we pay taxes, local people pay taxes, they take most of those taxes to Sacramento, and then they redistribute them. Like in a communist country, they redistribute them back out uh, as they see fit to meet the needs as they see fit of the populace. And so most of the money is spent and wasted uh, by the, the politicians in Sacramento. And so the local, even though we pay our taxes, local people pay taxes, a lot of those taxes do not come back to the area. So we have sales tax, like 7.25%. That's a base state sales tax. And just a, like 1% of that or so comes back to the area that, it, that it's derived from. And the rest of it goes for other needs. You can look that up. You can see the entire breakdown in sales tax uh, on the Internet. And uh, so what's happened is there's now a, there's now a law that's been passed years ago that locals can pass another sales tax and add on to the sales tax that exists and if they add a percent onto the 7.25 and it becomes 8.25 then the entire one percent of that between 7.25 and 8.25 can be kept uh, locally so i'm going to talk more about this i'm going to take a short break here and i'm going to play a couple clips for you and then we'll be right back i'm just going to take a little refresher and uh, we'll be back in about five minutes all right here we go
5: Do you believe the government can keep you safe? You can say it can, and you can even choose to act as if it can. But do you truly believe it? Do you believe speed limits, stoplights, and turn lanes shield you from road rage and drunk drivers? And as good as they are, and as hard as they try, do you believe police officers will be there when you need them the most? What's the cost to a country that thinks its rules can shield good people from bad things? Are we insulated from reality? So arrogant that we believe we can legislate evil out of bad people's hearts? The truth is, the government can't always protect us. Our safety is our job, because our lives are our job. And for the bad guys, that's bad news. We are the 5 million men and women of the National Rifle Association of America. And we believe the good guys deserve every chance to be safe. Join us today.
6: I just had to come and talk with you today because I am so frustrated right now, I've got smoke coming out of my ears. And you know why? I was giving an interview to a lefty radio station and they were talking to me about undocumented immigrant. Undocumented immigrants? I am an immigrant. I am insulted that they refer to me in the same sentence as illegal criminals, criminal aliens who broke the law to come to our country. When I came to America, I paid for my own ticket, I paid for my doctor's visits and all the blood tests that I had to take to become an American. I paid for my lawyers to do my papers. I had to study a two inch thick book written by the Daughters of the American Revolution about America's history and heritage. And I had to take a written exam as well as a verbal exam in English and pass them before I became an American. I. I am an immigrant. I am a legal immigrant. I am the type of immigrants America needs, not criminal aliens who break the law to get here. You know, I was just reading an email that just came through my emails shortly, and I'm gonna share with you some numbers. 11 billion to 22 billion dollars is spent on welfare to criminal aliens each year by state governments. 22 billion dollars a year is spent on food assistance programs such as food stamps, WIC, and free school lunches for criminal aliens. $2.5 $2.5 billion a year is spent on Medicare for criminal aliens. $12 billion a year is spent on primary and secondary school education for children here illegally that, and they cannot speak a word of English. $17 billion a year is spent for education for the American born children of criminal aliens known as anchor babies. $3 million a day is spent to incarcerate criminal aliens. 30% of all federal prison inmates are criminal aliens. $90 billion a year is spent on criminal aliens for welfare and social services by the taxpayer, by the American taxpayer. $200 billion a year in suppressed American wages are caused by criminal aliens. And when you add it all up, $338.3 billion a year that could be invested in our own country in your pocket and your children. Maybe you can drop
3: my gun Maybe you can drive my car, and maybe I love you.
6: Beep, 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 yeah. Beep beep
3: yeah Beep beep
4: Yeah Yeah Beep beep Yeah Beep beep Yeah All right, we're back And uh, we were talking about taxes. And we were talking about how the local, uh, local government can add taxes. Sorry, I'm just checking to see whether I had this hooked up right or not. Sorry. And I was just telling how you can add taxes at a local level. They make it possible. So the local entities, like a city or a county, or a local jurisdiction can add on taxes. And so they can add on 1%, 1.5%, 2%. They could add on a half percent. So in, in the Marysville area where I live, they added on a percent here re- recently. They get to keep the whole percent. It comes back to them eventually. And uh, so different entities, like I mentioned last week, I think there were 51 or 61 different jurisdictional groups, cities, counties, jurisdictions, could be an agency, added uh, a percent or so or half percent to because they, they're running out of taxes. And you think, well, what, Did people quit paying taxes? Actually, it's just the opposite. We've never paid so many taxes. And uh, when when you listen to these budget uh, people, like the, the administrators, county administrators, City administrators, they'll say this. In fact, I just read something from the uh, city of Chico, just north of us, and they'll say this: our revenues are up, but, but our tax, but our uh, pensions and health care, they'll say our cost of business is doing up, uh, is going up. Our revenues up, but our cost of business is doing up. Well, we, a good businessman, if he's thinking right, he'll go and figure out what's our cost of business. So when they look look at the cost of business, what they're really saying, but they don't want to say it this way, because when they begin to highlight the cost of the employees of government, they used to be not a huge cost because government employees kind of got paid what the private sector got, but a little less, but they had long-term guarantees of work. But now they've got long-term guarantees of work, plus they have salaries that are a lot higher than the... The comparative work in the private sector, plus they get paid most of those salaries until they die if they retire in the public sector. So uh, so what's happening is in Yuba County, we're fighting. um, We we voted on a tax here in November. And I was uh, against the tax and I I worked on a campaign to reject the tax And so what happened is Measure K, and our belief was, according to the state statutes, is that in order for the tax to be levied upon the people, it had to—two out of three people had to vote for it. But the politicians, the government of U.S. County, said only—they felt only a simple majority of the people had to vote for it, like 50 percent plus one, and it was good to go. So the tax— the measure K to raise taxes in Yuba County by one percent uh, that passed by fifty three percent said we'll vote we'll, we'll do this we'll raise taxes uh, but I won't get into all the details today because I have other things to talk about but the point is that we're we now have it in court it, to be fought out on whether it needed a two thirds vote or a fifty percent plus one. But our government was created by uh, founders that didn't believe in 50% plus one because uh, they believed that we shouldn't be ruled by just the the current sentiments of the public, but we should be ruled by a constitution. And that constitution, uh, once it's put in place, uh, things needed to be – things needed to be – Complementary to the Constitution, if they violated the Constitution, though even people w- wanted them, uh, they would not be accepted uh, in society unless you changed the entire Constitution. And to change the Constitution was a big job was a was a tougher go than just get fifty percent plus one. We're going to change all the rules, right? So that's how this all came about. So that means if you like, uh, if you like to drive hot rods. If you like to drive a certain type of car and 50 percent plus one of the people in your community says, we're going to drive these cars. But that particular car that you drive is is unacceptable. Or if we're not we're not going to allow motorbikes or scooters or bicycles or we're not going to allow cars and 50 percent plus one say that. Basically, you could change the way, uh, you know, in other words, I'll come and take if, if they decide, hey, you're a particularly ethnic group like they did in Hitler's time, you're a particularly ethnic group. And so being Jewish, we're going to move you out of the uh, area here and we're going to put you in ghettos or camps. Uh, those in power will just make those decisions and we're going to treat you like cattle, like animals. Right. And that's how uh, democracy works. But, our founders said, we don't want you to be able to do that. So there's a fight now over how these taxes have to be passed. Now, we thought we had that fight squared away and, it, and it's described in law, but how it's implemented gets confusing. So now it's going to be sorted out in the courts. So I got a uh, contact from Dave from Chico, who was a uh, regular listener from Chico, and uh, he found me, uh, found us on No Hostages Radio, and he wrote an email, and uh, he says, I don't know if you remember me. I live in Butte County, called your show once, et cetera, talked about tax increases, and he said uh, to me, he said, you said on 427 that you, you had friends up here in, in Butte County, which Butte County, if you're listening to this elsewhere, Butte County is just north of Yuba County, up in here, uh, what we like to call the state of Jefferson, So he says, I'm trying to find people to help fight these tax increases. In other words, he says in Butte County, that's where Chico State College is, for instance, and and, uh, Butte Junior College. Uh, So he says, I'm trying to fight tax increases up here. In other words, up and down the valley, up and down California, uh, local jurisdictions are out of money. And they owe more money than they can pay for the pensions they promised Union government employees and they can't pay them and they're basically going to go bankrupt and go into what we call receivership. And that's where they they disassemble the government of a county or a city and they turn it over to like uh, a judge who then appoints a a good business person that starts making decisions for for the gu- for the county, the jurisdictions until they can get it on on its f- solid footing again. So. Dave says in Butte County, they got all these taxes are going to increase. And he said he's trying to find people to organize and fight them. His name's Dave Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. He says, so far, I've had uh, two letters published in the local newspapers. He says papers. Uh, So up there, the two I know of is the Enterprise um, Record, E-R. They call it the E-R, the Enterprise Record. And then the other one is... News, I believe it's the News and Review. It's, I know it's a weekly. I don't know. Well, those are the two papers. Enterprise uh, Record is one of them. So he says, I've had two letters published in the local papers, and I have one that I'm trying to get published. It's been difficult. I have sent eight emails to get one published, and the latest letter I have had no response. So once again, I have to resend it. I'm not sure it will even ever get published. All the members of the city council... The 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 press, the newspapers and the Chamber of Commerce and the media want tax increases. So we face a real struggle up here. He's writing. I'm reading what he wrote. Plus, the city council and the recreation district have hired an expensive PR firm to propagandize the public. Now, if you're wondering whether he's true It's true. You can look up and there are firms in California that are specializing and making millions of dollars in fees to represent government to take away more of the people's tax dollars from them. Now, that was supposed to be illegal and there were laws passed to keep politicians from uh, hiring with. It's like somebody's taking your tax dollars away and in hiring people to take more of your tax dollars away, so they 'll deceive you and figure out ways to get around your resistance, right that was supposed to be illegal uh, because that 's taken away your free speech like when you spend your money that 's your that 's part of your free speech when you when you uh, invest a hundred dollars in ABC product instead of the x y z product. You're actually voting for one product over another or one service over another or something, something. So it's a part of free speech. So the government said it's against the law to take your money and then to use your money against you. So um, here's the letter that he wrote that hasn't been published yet in the Chico Enterprise record. They call it the Chico ER. He says, don't fall for the city council's tax increase lie. Uh, That's the title. The fiscal year, 2017, 18 city revenues grew by 7.4%. He says that's uh, Chico director Dowell told the city council revenue growth is expected to continue. So didn't I just tell you that they all say revenue because we're booming in California. We're booming all over the United States. California is getting some of the boom, not the greatest, but some of it. He says Director Orme said the city has a revenue problem that requires tax increases. So one person says we have revenue increase. The other person says we still have a revenue problem. We need taxes. Despite increases, he says, in revenue, the city continues to let our infrastructure crumble. I want you to look around. I'm going to talk about streets here in a minute, but look around your city and see if the, the buildings need painted. Or Some of our government buildings haven't been painted in decades here in this Yuba County. Uh, see, see how good your city looks. If fresh trees have been built, uh, put up and sidewalks repaired, it's rough here in so I'll tell you that. So he says infrastructure crumbling. Mayor Stone tells us that city employee compensation costs will double. That's amazing right there will double in less than 10 years, and CalPERS, that's California Public Employee Retirement System, will devour 25% of the entire city budget by 2023. That's just four years away. And that assumes an unrealistically high CalPERS return on investment of 7.7%. CalPERS has not been averaging 7%. That's his point. Mayor Stone admits this is unsustainable. In other words, they can't they cannot pay the twenty five percent and then have an increase more and more and more. They and still run a city. You just you can't do it. There's there's not enough money. So Dave Hal goes on in his letter. He said, Instead the city council is giving tens of thousands of your tax dollars to a PR firm to sell you a tax increase. Now, to depart from this letter for a minute, a Yuba County supervisor spent We think, although it takes months to get a Freedom of Information Act response here, we believe that once we look into it, that they spent a quarter of a million dollars fighting for this tax increase, our dollars, not their own income. Not their own supervisor income, but our tax dollars. So he said instead the city council gave tens of thousands to a PR firm to sell you a tax increase. That's supposed to be against the law, people. Their pitch will be that the money is necessary to fund infrastructure and public safety. Now that's always the pitch, infrastructure, particularly public safety. Because people, when they founded, when people settled in different places of the United States and they decided let's have a city here, right? This is a settlement. Let's have a city. Let's have a county. What do they want? They wanted safety. They organized for safety purposes primarily. And so they hired a cop or cops, right, or sheriff or whatever and in more public safety. So he says the the pitch that that they need this money for infrastructure and public safety is a lie. He says it's necessary because for years the city has put unrealistic pension promises ahead of everything else, and the city council has no intention of changing that. If you just came in to listen to us, we're talking about a letter that hasn't been published by the local paper, the Enterprise Record in Butte County. Uh, in Chico area, and we're reading it over the air. It's from Dave Howell. He's a tax fighter, and he's looking for help to fight the city's increase and county's increase in taxes up there. So Dave goes on to say, other cities in California have taken the same approach. Instead of fixing the problem, the result has been demands for even higher taxes. Initial estimates indicate the city council's tax increase would cost a family of four an extra $1,200 a year. That's interesting. It's a lot of money. This in, in a county with a 21% poverty rate where city bureaucrats have pensions worth millions. It's unconscionable, he says. This is how democracy fails. Remember I said that our founders did not believe in a democracy. They believed in a republic. That's where a constitution runs things. Uh, so this is how democracy fails, in other words, fifty percent plus one, and that 's how it 's going to fail he 's exactly right the The people need to let the city 's politicians know loudly and clearly this will not be tolerated so um, he said to um, this is still in his letter he said email debbie dot press on debbie dot pre r e s s on debbie dot press on at chico c a chico do don't know who that woman is uh whether, whether she's on the city council but he said email debbie dot press on at chico dot gov to voice your disapproval to the entire city council So uh, then he says, "The best way," he said, "you can have people reach out to me, Lou. So if you want to join up with Dave Howell and learn more about how you can fight this tax, you you can fight it and you can beat it, but you have to fight it. You can't just hope, and you you just just whining won't do. You got to organize. You got to get pamphlets. You got to educate the public, because once people are educated, it just scares the hell out of them, and and they'll fight it." So, uh, if you want to get a hold of Dave Howell up in Chico, Butte County, you can email him at liberty just l i b e r t y common spelling of liberty five three zero at at mail dot com not Gmail mail. At mail.com. Let me say it again. Dave Howell, this is how to get a hold of him. He just wrote this letter. He's hoping it's going to get printed in one of the newspapers up there, but it hasn't, so he asked me to read it on the air, which I'm doing for him because I believe in his cause. He said people can reach out to me at liberty 530 at mail.com. So check it out, and uh, listen, in every county— you guys up in Nevada County, Butte County, Calusa County, uh, Placer County, uh, Glenn County, you know, you guys all are um, are faced with these tax increases and we need to fight them. Oroville, I just think, lost one. They they beat it back one time and then they've lost it. Now, one of the problems is. Uh, the. The government uh, under Governor Brown, the first time Governor Brown was, was the uh, governor of the state of California after, after uh, I believe, after G- Governor Reagan was uh, governor for two terms. Then Jerry Brown came in to take over a couple of terms after his father, Pat Brown, and he okayed the uh, employees of the government of California and city and state government. To become organized as unions. And once that happened, because of the huge number of union employees, they have huge power in the state and are now an equal power broker to anybody in the state of California. And they run uh, pretty much everything. If you don't have the the union support, you're probably not going to win a political race in this state and uh so what happened was is they at once upon a time there were no uh pensions retirement for government employees so sometimes people just stayed and they worked until they weren't worth worth much anymore you know as you go older you can't produce what you used to so the pensions were both a way to to encourage people to go to work for government and to encourage them to retire when they got too old to be effective right Kind of a double-edged benefit but what's happened is is the pensions because unions always try to negotiate a better deal for their members even when it's much more than the than the private sector uh, they they negotiated a huge benefit where people if they serve thirty years they might get sixty seventy eighty percent of their highest monthly pay or highest annual pay the rest of their life. So you could make 100000 like some over 30000 I just wrote an article for the Territorial Dispatch where I told about some of the newest rates. In fact, maybe I'll pull that up and read right from it here in a minute. But uh, they, the website, transparentcalifornia.org, transparentcalifornia.org will tell you uh, if you want to look up your own jurisdiction, like if you have a city or county or whatever, you can see who's getting paid what and how much pensions are getting paid per person. And they the uh, CalPERS just are transparent. California just told how CalPERS is paying over 30,000 retirees more than one hundred thousand dollars a year each. Now, I, I I am not jealous about people making a lot of money if people make a million dollars a year. I don't really care. You know, it, it, it doesn't, I, I wish them well, they have nicer things than me. I, it just, I, I'm okay. And uh, so I don't think we need to be jealous about those type of things, but I do feel that when we're paying taxes for government employees, they work for us taxpayers. And so I don't think it's, I think there is an element of what's fair when, when they're taking our tax dollars and paying fantastic pensions, and so like for me, I'm I'm technically most people consider me retired. Economically, I'm retired uh, at my age, but I'm I'm still working some, and but I'm working full time at volunteer pursuits, things I really like to do, and uh, so when I see people. Like, for instance, I can do that because I set aside my own money. No taxpayer put aside money for me. I put aside my own money. And uh, I don't have the expenses that I had when I was 25, 35, 45. I don't. So I can live on a lot less income. I don't need a lot of income. So if I was, if I was a retiree from the state of California, I wouldn't need $100,000 a year or $50,000 a year. I wouldn't need that much money to live on. And so what's happening is is the CalPERS system is run by unions, controlled by unions, and controlled by liberals. And you might think, well, Lou, how come you got to be partisan about it? Well, because I, I don't really care what label you put on it, but when people run – when you put all your, your government pension money, all the government employees, city, county, state, put their pension money in one pot – not everybody believes the same thing. They may all be union employees of the government at one time, but they all don't believe the same thing. So when the the people running CalPERS decide we don't want to invest in oil or some industry because we don't think it's politically correct, but we really could make a great return, but we don't, but because we're politically correct, not the entire union, just those people running the show at CalPERS. So we're re- we're liberals and we hate oil or we hate fossil fuel or we hate some country in the world. So we don't want to invest in it there. So therefore, we're going to keep our money out of there, invest in something else that doesn't get as much money in return. Right. And uh, so that's what's happened. CalPERS is being run by liberals and they they are not generating an average of seven point or seven percent return a year. They aren't. That's interesting because. Uh, In my investments, where I have a lady help me, I've always had somebody help me. Now, currently a lady, that's her specialty is investing money that she does for a living. There's, there's There's thousands of them in the United States. And she helps me earn much more than 7%. Now, it's interesting that just one person can do that. But at CalPERS, where they have the biggest retirement fund, I think in the world, it's certainly in the United States. They can't hire people that will always get you a you know the smartest you could hire the smartest people in the world. People over there make three and four hundred thousand dollars a year. You'd think you'd hire a smart person and so what's happening is is all that money that's being run by calpers so what so California decided to have pensions number one then the government the unions got a control of the pensions, right They got organized, and unions got better pay. Uh, better working hours, more time off, got more for less, and got great pensions. But they can't manage the pensions, and and the management of the pensions isn't bringing in the money it takes. Now, did you know that government employees don't pay all – they don't contribute all uh, in their entire contribution. They don't make that entire contribution to CalPERS. They make a portion of it. Sometimes they negotiate out of having to pay any of it in. And they negotiate that the taxpayer has to pay the whole thing. Now, I had to pay hundred percent of all my money into my investments, but in government, they negotiate out of that, or they negotiate well, I'm going to pay five percent or six percent or eight percent or ten percent or fifteen percent It's different all, all over the place and then the taxpayer's on the hook on it on the hook for it now it's interesting the taxpayer's not on the hook for the pension until the person retires, and then they keep whatever they get no. The taxpayer, because like nobody promised me, like my my investment advisor never promised me that they would give me a certain check for the rest of my life. They didn't promise me that. They promised me that they'd do the very best they could each year to generate a nest egg, right? But in the state pensions that include county and city, they guarantee that at the end of your tour of duty with whatever jurisdiction you're with, they will give you 2 to 3% times the number of years you worked like if you work 30 years and you get 2% uh you're going to get 60% of your highest income year right that that's all the way up to some law enforcement, like CHP, got three percent at thirty. They got ninety percent of their highest wage year. Some of those guys are making a hundred thousand, or guys and gals, a hundred thousand or more a year. Okay, some people are making two and three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Work for the state, doctors, psychiatrists, or people just earning lots of uh, overtime. Right. So uh, so you're, but we guaranteed these pensioners that they will get this money. Till they die. So, if they retire at fifty-five and they live to ninety-five, you're paying them a grant, hundred grand, for forty more years, right? That's that's the agreement that they made. So, um, so anyway, these, uh, this Calpers has become very political, and it isn't doing well, and they've had corruption. They've had money uh, stolen. They've had money uh, abused. Uh, in other words, they paid they, uh, they, ex- they paid off people to do, you know, people bribed people on the board of CalPERS. So they would spend a billion dollars with them or a hundred million dollars with them, uh, you know, these investment firms. So now there's been this big debate on, uh, you know, how to make CalPERS more profitable. More profitable and recently they they just gave the boss over there, the boss of the whole thing a bonus they give her like an eighty some thousand dollar bonus and I always wonder for what, in other words, Calpers is not flourishing it's struggling right and and it's it's not doing well, but they are uh they're giving bonuses out and they're paying fantastic amounts of money so Gavin Newsom, they have a board that oversees CalPERS, that oversees the running. It's kind of like a school board, I think. And so this week, I found it really fascinating. It said, it doesn't say Gavin Newsom appoints uh, the brightest person in the world to the CalPERS board or uh, a person that used to be the head of Goldman Sachs investments or the person that used to be... the." The top investor for Silicon Valley or the person that used to be the investment guru that uh, for Franklin Fund or something The 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 the, uh, title of the article. And I believe is a Sacramento Bee said Gavin Newsom appoints transgender city councilman to CalPERS. So I thought if if he appointed me, I wonder if they would say about me. Gavin Newsom appoints white heterosexual man to CalPERS. Now, why wouldn't you—right? Do people really care uh, what color the person is or what gender the person is or if they have sex orgies? I mean, do we have to—it's so fascinating to me that today in the media— if anybody but a heterosexual white person is successful, like if somebody gets picked in the NFL draft, we're going to talk about not his name, but we're going to talk about is whether who he has sex with. If he's having sex with somebody of the same flavor Uh, then you're going to put that in the headline. If he's transgender, we're going to put that in the headline, right? So here we're dealing with money. That's all we're dealing with at CalPERS. We're not not curing cancer. We're just dealing with investment of hardworking people in the government, their money. And what, what the highlight is here is Gavin Newsom appointed a guy that now calls himself a girl. Now, I'm going to talk about more about this later, but we're at another break. And I'm going to pr- play you uh, a couple minutes of uh, clips and hope you enjoy them. And we'll be right back.
0: It's become increasingly clear that many in our nation's elite media know little to nothing about religion, Christianity in particular. This is a disturbing trend for the future of our country. A recent New York Times piece claimed that Father Jean-Marc Fournier saved a statue of Jesus from the Notre Dame fire. What Fournier actually saved was the Blessed Sacrament which is, of course, not a statue, but the bread used in communion, believed by Catholics to be the actual body of Christ during that sacrament. It appears that the Times struggled to understand the phrase, the body of Christ. The New York Times is not alone in its failure to accurately present Christianity. Following the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral, the Associated Press ran a story with this utterly tone-deaf headline, quote, Tourist Mecca Notre Dame also revered as a place of worship. It's simply astonishing that the Associated Press editors think readers need to be informed that a famous cathedral is a place of worship. Certainly, everyone makes mistakes, and reporters should not be expected to be theologians. Our rhetoric and most famous works are shot through with religious language and concepts often derived from the Bible. Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense in 1776 in an effort to build support for American independence. Paine was a notable religious skeptic, but nevertheless filled the text of his pamphlet with biblical allusions, specifically to the evils of monarchy. When Abraham Lincoln delivered his famed House Divided speech in 1858, arguing that America could not continue as a nation half slave and half free, most Americans would have known the 16th president was referring to the Gospels. Christ coined the phrase, a house divided against itself cannot stand encountering opponents' accusation that he was a tool of demons. Christianity has experienced periods of growth and decline in our nation's history, but what remained constant was that virtually all Americans, regardless of personal faith, spoke the language of the Bible and had some basic understanding of its teachings. That just isn't the case today, especially in our newsrooms, which all too often lack a religious perspective. So much for diversity!
4: Welcome back. You're listening to Lou Benninger and we're here at No Hostages Radio and uh, I wanted to mention one of our supporters that does a great job here in the Yuba area. He's a guy I've known for f- over 40 years. Amazing when you have some relationships like that. He and his wife I knew him when they were teenagers before he even figured out what he wanted to do with his life and um, he became a carpenter and his wife was a amazing artist who does her work painting amazing things, big things, little things, paints the whole site of buildings, murals to amazing pieces of art. But I'm talking about Dave Greenitz and Dave Greenitz Construction Company. He's the most amazing uh, remodeler in the, the valley here. And he could be a remodeler everywhere, but he's very involved in uh, in other Pursuits, uh, spiritual pursuits, following Jesus, but he also uh, so he he limits his his uh, company to serving here in the north north state, primarily Yuba Sutter counties up and down the the valley here. Sometimes he gets up into the foothills, and even I know he's gone up to Lake Tahoe and done some work up there. But Dave Greenitz has been a big supporter of us for years and helped us get on the air and. Uh, provide funding for that and uh, but even if he didn't uh, I would promote his business because I, I wouldn't promote somebody that I didn't believe uh, they did a good service or I wouldn't be willing to use him myself and not only am I willing but Dave's done a lot of the work on my own house and uh, and he's amazing and you can go on his website which is quite the site uh, because he shows you photos of his work and he focuses a lot on uh, k- kitchens and baths but he's a general remodeling guy but he does kitchens and baths that's his specialty and and entryways he does great uh, job on decks he also does something that you probably if you're in california northern california you ought to put in right now it's called a whole house fan and a lot of times i don't know whether you've paid your pg e bills your electric bills out here in In Northern California, we have Pacific Gas and Electric called PG&E. And the the utility bills here are like 60% higher. If you want to move here, you figure on paying 60% more than than you pay in these other states. So look on GreenitzConstruction.com. Green with E-T-Z on the end. GreenitzConstruction.com. And uh, you'll get your mind blown. Every time I look, like he also posts on a Facebook site. And it comes over into my newsfeed, and I get to see the before and after of some of these places. And I, it's a, it's amazing. I think I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move over and move in with that family and go to go to eat in their kitchen. But it's amazing. So uh, greenestconstruction.com. It's real easy. You can you know if you know how people. If you're a millennial and you you can't hardly talk to people face to face, and you don't want to talk, you just want to text. You can go over there to the Greenitz Construction and he set it up perfect for you because you can like go over his whole site, check it out in secret. He doesn't even know your name. And then if you want to shoot him an email, you can right off the site there and you can you can quiz him about uh, a kitchen or a bath. Or if you want to even look at one of those things, you might even be able to go check one out in person. But uh, they will they will help you um, look at it, you know, look at the best Approach, And he'll come over and check. You know, when you're ready to meet a person face to face, take some, uh, you know, a rel- you know muscle relaxer or mood enhancer or something where you can actually meet a person. He will come over and actually talk to you. And uh, Dave, one thing about Dave, it, you know, some of these independent contractors, they call I don't know why they call them independent. I think because they, they they'll just do what they want. They'll say I'm coming on Monday and they'll come next year. But Dave, if you make an appointment with him, he's going to be there right on time. And, and you're, not going to, you're not going to tie you up. He's going to get down to business and then get on with his, get on with his business. So um, easy to work with. I've, I've never had a person in the community complain about Dave Greenitz. And he does great work. So, and, and again, you can look at his work. You don't have to take a chance. Like, say, you know, when people say, well, I'm the best or I'm the greatest. Well, you, you, I always say, well, how do I know that? Right. Do I have to, like, pay you one hundred thousand dollars to do my remodel and then try to figure it out then? Or can I look at somebody else's remodel? So now in today's society, you can just go online and, and look at your remodel so you can check it out at Green dot com. And this is the time of the year where I was mentioning with PG&E rates super high and they just went bankrupt. Right. Uh, so now they're going to probably go up again. And so if you want to cut back on your energy usage, one way, according to Dave, is you put in a whole house fan. And what that does, instead of trying to chill all the air in your house, you can get rid of all the air that that's really hot. It just sucks it out of your house and blows it out back where it ought to be, out of, the, out of your area. And then you can, when it gets chilly at night, when it cools down to early morning hours, you can suck It'll suck that cool air on in. So it works both ways. It gets hot air out, brings cool air in, right? So you can, he'll put in one of those whole house fans right up in your attic. And it's a great deal. Lots of, lots of services. He cleans up after himself. They, it's really a great service. Greenestconstruction.com. So we'll talk about more later, but I want to go back and talk about why CalPERS, California public employment retirement system. So they made, you know, what, what happens is, is you have these incestuous relationships in politics. And what I mean by incestuous is like incest, you know, it's it's like against the law to have sex with your own people. Uh, You know, your daughter or your, even your foster daughter or your, stepdaughter or your stepson or your cousin or whatever. You're not supposed to have... That's incest, right? Other family members. And so we call it political incest when politicians, uh, they they pay off the unions for their vote. They say, listen, you vote for me. You give money to my campaign. And then when when you have a need, when you... When your uh, salaries are coming up for renegotiation or your agreements, uh, you know, I'm going to stand by your side because you supported me. We scratch each other's back. It's a bad system, right? That's why originally even Franklin Roosevelt, one of the big liberals in the United States history uh, during World War II, Franklin Roosevelt, he said, I do not believe government employees should ever unionize. It, it creates an incestuous relationship for politicians. So it's interesting that Gavin Newsom, now you would think, did he did he just go out to appoint a transgender city council woman? Now did I when I started this in the last segment, I may have said that she was a woman, became a man, but actually it's just the opposite. And I should have known better because I saw a photo of him, her and uh she's dressed like a woman but she's looking like a manly woman and not to make fun of her i'm just saying that it's interesting of all the people to put at the top of the calpers it's a th- of the 13 uh most wise people in the in the state of california almost 40 million people of the 13 most wise people to govern Hundreds of billions of dollars of invest, I it's almost 400 billion dollars of investments a year. It is three hundred 362 billion. You would pick uh, it just happens to be a transgender, which there's hardly hardly any of them in society. But it's like but the, the, it's not I didn't bring it up. If they wouldn't have brought it up, I would have just said, oh, this person named Lisa Middleton got appointed uh, to the board. Lisa Middleton. So it says um, there's a picture of them, and it says, uh, anyway, it says the lead lead line says, a transgender California city councilwoman is joining CalPERS Board of Administration, becoming the fifth new member leading the nation's largest pension fund this year. Okay. It doesn't tell that she's brilliant. It doesn't say she's a great investment person. She doesn't. You know, she's a city council person. Right, and not city council person of san francisco l a uh you know some mega city palm Springs, for goodness sakes, right, little old palm springs um uh, so it's it but it doesn't say anything great about her past accomplishments so let let me tell you what she did do down here at the bottom I say it did she didn't what i meant is. They didn't, they don't say anything like she turned around the city. It was bankrupt and she got it back on their feet. She turned around major corporations that were going bankrupt and they were going to close and she got them on their feet. Now she, no, she, none like that. All it said is Middleton, Lisa, they say, Lisa was a guy. Now she's a gal. Um, Middleton worked at the state compensation insurance fund. That's where she was employed or he was employed at some point until she, he decided to be a she from 1974 to 2010. That's a lot of years, right? That's uh 36 years of work. According to the news release, 36 years, she worked for the government. Does that qualify her to be one of only 13 board members to operate a $362 billion investment fund? You know, I don't think I'm qualified to serve on that board. I've I've done well with my investments. I've run successful small businesses. I haven't worked for the state, uh, but uh, another guy uh, that they that they put on that board, uh, he was a former Sacramento Municipal Utility District board president, and I think she's replacing him. A guy named Slayton. The point is that these boards are very political. And I think if all you out there that are listening that happen to be working for state or city or county government, do you feel good about, here you are, instead of you having control of your own investments, you have no control. And these these appointments to these boards and who they hire is all political. In fact, Jerry Brown just appointed uh, or hired one of his top guys in his administration when he, before he left office, he made sure that guy had a job. So he gave him a, a multi hundred thousand dollars, several hundred thousand dollar a year job, uh, over at the CalPERS. But, there's there's no guarantee he's the best guy for the job. You know, if you were p- picking an investment advisor for your money, you had a little stash of money, maybe you got an inheritance or whatever you had. You did well in work. Maybe you maybe you did well in the construction industry or you're a teacher and you, you managed your money well or or you're something and you you had a stash of money. You'd be very careful about who invested your money, right? And so now we have – I'm not saying anything. I'm just thinking – I didn't bring up the fact that the woman was a man. That's the government that always brings that up. The government and the media always bring up that somehow I'm supposed to, if I had investment in CalPERS, I'm supposed to feel comfortable now that she's transgender. In other words, who she's having sex with makes a big difference to me, right? In other words, I'm going to get warm, fuzzy feelings that my money's in good hands because... She used to be a man, and now she's a woman. I don't know. So, you know, when I read these things about CalPERS, I just think, uh, no wonder this thing is going bankrupt, right? No wonder it's going bankrupt. And you could probably look up on the CalPERS website and look at the backgrounds uh, of all 13 people that are serving on that board. It's called the CalPERS Board of Administration. And she's the fifth new member this year. Uh, so people quit. People get appointed. Uh, a police officer. I'm, this is going to be interesting. Some of them, uh, uh, maybe all of them, end up uh, running for election over there. But a police officer, Jason Perez, is on the board uh, because he got fed up as a police officer feeling like, hey, just just what I'm saying. Got nervous about his investments, Right. And law enforcement gets a high percentage. Uh, they get one of the higher percentages to retire at. State Treasurer Fiona Ma, uh, she's on the board. Department of Human Resources Director, uh, I, I don't know how to say this, A. Reina, a Raina Ortega, she's on the board. State Personnel Board Member Mona Pasquil Rogers joined the board. You know, they're are do they know anything about an investment? I guess their skill is they've been on boards or they've been on they've run government before, but the question is, are they political or do they know how to really hire a person that can uh, make them a lot of money, or is it just all political? The problem is folks that in California that is one of the most politicized operations over there uh in the state, and so that's why nothing gets done, and that's why they're going broke. So, uh, so there you have it. All right. So I'm going to move on from Gavin Newsom and, uh, I, I wasn't raised in a church or going to church. That came to me, uh, in sort of a miraculous way, actually not sort of, but a miraculous way, uh, to give me some direction in life and get me out of a real dive in my life. But, That's not the point of my talk here today. I started going to church. I found Jesus, as they say, or met Jesus or learned about Jesus or had a miracle happen in my life. And so I've been doing church and and actually going to church, serving in church, employed by a church. Now just like working with church uh, all over the world and here in Northern California. So for over 40 years. So when you listen when you find that a, a pastor or a church leader does something uh bad and um, disappoints the congregation or actually you know steals money or uh embezzles money, steals money, mismanages money, or abuses some members of the congregation like has sexual relations, it's just really disheartening. Uh, it's kind of like if a teacher molests a kid or a counselor mol- molests a kid or a politician molests somebody or or maybe not so much a politician, but just people that we honor, a coach, we honor in a, a, a place of authority and custody and care of our kids. And they actually take advantage of particularly young people is so troubling to me so i ran across this article uh you know with the the catholic church has had a terrible problem and and i'm not anti catholic or pro catholic or anti i'm not pro or anti anything i'm just saying it, when you look for where pro, some sexual abuse problems are occurring do they occur everywhere in society yeah i mean i remember people and businesses in the Yuba area where women filed actions against bosses that, that uh, fondled them or forced them to have sex or did something, something right. Uh, We're sexually harassing them. Right. And so uh, it's a big deal, but when it happens in church, it's a bigger deal to me. And that's the Catholic church has had a huge problem. Now, if if uh now i'm not going to be entirely accurate but my my experience with the catholic church over the years is that priests did not did not get married they were single men in the catholic church and so what what's become uh clear is that a lot of homosexual priests uh have been having sex with underage boys now The the offenses haven't always been underage boys. Some have been some have had sex with boys and girls and some have had sex with just young women, but most it's with boys. And uh, they have a huge problem in the Catholic Church with homosexual, even though they say, oh, I'm not I don't have a relationship with a man or a woman. They're still having sex. They have those, they have those uh, leanings or their lust or whatever you want to call it. And they're having problems. And it's, it's been hot hidden or covered up for decades. It just has. And you you can't deny it. I mean, it just has. And so, you know, every time every year goes by and there's a new kind of revelation, it looks like the church is going to come clean. And then it kind of does. And you think, oh, well that's, that's good. And, but, it really doesn't come clean. And and they say that inside the Catholic church, the hierarchy of the church, there's a huge power struggle uh, between homosexuals and people that are, I guess would be non-homosexual, heterosexual, whatever sexual you want to call it. But you know, if they're all, if they're all taking this vow of celibacy of not having sex with anybody, it shouldn't be an issue, right? But it is. So here's an article this last week. Or at the end, April 30, says list of Sacramento area priests, deacons, priests and deacons accused of sexual abuse has been released. A list of Sacramento area priests and deacons. So when they say Sacramento area, that would be the, what they call the Sacramento diocese, but it includes not just Sacramento, the city, but the whole Northern California, And so it says here, Sacramento Diocese has released a list of priests and deacons. Deacons are people that are uh, below priests, but do a lot of the uh, spiritual services. And it says these people that they have on this list have been credibly accused. In other words, some of them are dead now. However, because of the investigation that the church did, they feel that the accused, the accusations have been credible. They believe the people, even though they may may not have gone through a court of law. So in the report, credible, quote unquote, is said to represent a, a reasonable person's conclusion that based on the information at hand, the accusation is more likely to be true than not true. This list, and I'm going to give you the website, you can go see if it's a priest that you know if you're a Catholic. This list names 44 priests and two permanent deacons from the Diocese of Sacramento. The list was formed based on a review of personnel records of nearly 1,500 bishops, priests, and permanent deacons. Now, that's amazing. These people went through and looked at all the files of 1,500 employees. And what would you find in those files? Well, you'd find maybe accusations, right? or disciplinary action, right? If you looked at it, anybody's employee file, you'd find the same thing, right? You wouldn't maybe find sex, but you'd find a person who was chronically late, showed up drunk, did this, did that, something happened. For instance, in, in Jim Whitaker, who's a, who's a teacher, was a teacher at Yuba City Unified, he had a file that had women who had accused him, it was still in his file, and they looked at it recently, women who had accused him of fondling them. And so eventually he w- was released here uh, a year and a half ago or so from the Yuba Unified School District based upon current accusations and a history of these accusations that were in his file. The question is, why was not anything done with Mr. Whitaker in his teaching career? And the question everybody's asking, or you should ask, or, or you know, it's rightful to ask, is why wasn't anything done back in the day? The earliest reported incident occurred in 1955, and the latest was in 2014. This is, this is in these 1,500 individuals that were researched. The priests and deacons have all been credibly accused of sexually abusing 130 minors or young adults, minors being under the age of 14, they're talking about. And young adults aged twenty-five and under. Ninety one, there were ninety one male victims and thirty-nine female victims. Now I looked through most of the uh they had the records online. They they summarized them. Now I didn't look through all of them, but I would have from memory I wouldn't have given the as many female victims, but but I'm trusting their figures here. According to the report, three men, three men make up for nearly half of the incidents reported 60 out of 133 men. Now the fascinating thing is some of these priests, when they went to trial or they were waiting to go to trial or they were waiting to go to sentencing, fled the country. Can you imagine a priest fleeing the country? And, and these are Mexican priests and they fled the country, and went to Mexico, I think. So, uh, so anyway, let me go on here because uh, I'm here in the U- Yuba County area, and so uh, it it it's pretty amazing. Hold on, I just clicked the wrong screen and got off my, what I wanted to do. So it says here, are the churches on this article where the abuse most likely happened in the Sacramento region. Honestly, there's too many to read. There's uh dozens and dozens of churches in the Sacramento area. They list Yuba Sutter area, Sacramento. They also list, I think it includes Nevada County, uh, Butte County. There's churches all over up and down the Valley. Uh, so it lists Woodland, Yuba City, Davis, Rio Vista. I, I'm we're talking about churches where incidents happened. Eilton, Clarksburg, uh, a lot of them in Sacramento because it's a big population area. Let's see, Galt. So anyway, I thought I'm going to check this out and see if I know of any of these guys or I remember Grass Valley, uh, Lincoln, Dixon, Placerville, Auburn, Roseville et cetera, et cetera. So I, you can go and you can check this website out. I'm going to give you the website right now. And then I'm going to talk about a couple that actually were in Yuba city, uh, Marysville, uh, parishes, I guess you call them or churches. So the list, if you want to look this up yourself, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It tells where they were trained, how long they served, where they served, whether or not they got fired or they resigned, whether or not they, uh, ever got, uh, sentenced right uh and shows a photo of them etc so the website is scd like sacramento catholic diocese scd.org very simple scd.org and then you backslash and then you do clergy abuse all one word clergy abuse scd.org backslash clergy abuse and then if you want to do another backslash I think you can put lists and it'll give you the list okay Uh, but if you just go to the scd.org backslash clergy abuse you can get there and then you can do your own research now what I found uh, there was one guy Vincent Brady that served up in Gridley and and he uh, he was accused of of uh, sexual abuse from people in Gridley Uh, one guy this is a guy that fled Francisco Javier Garcia, uh, he fled, left the country. Unbelievable. So um, another guy that actually served at St. Joseph's in Marysville, John Hannon, years ago, I didn't write down the dates, but you can look it all up for yourself. It didn't say that he did anything with anyone in Marysville at St. Joseph's. But 10 years after he was at St. Joseph's, uh, he had sexual intercourse, uh, with, I think women. Another one. Um, let's see Francisco. Tovar last name of Tovar. Uh, he was accused in 86 and 87 of uh sexually abusing someone but he served his last service i think was at saint isidore's in 2007-2008 it doesn't show that he was accused while being at saint isidore's in yuba city but he was accused earlier in his career but still continued to serve right jose urbina he served in both marysville catholic churches in yuba city that's saint isidore's and saint and saint joseph's uh, And in 1983 to 1980 to 1983, he uh, molested boys and uh, he's listed Michael Walsh. uh, He served in Marysville from 1971 to 73 at St. Joseph's and it lists the alleged abuse ranging from 1973 to 1985. People accused him all along the line there. Now, many of these accusers have come out after other accusers came out. So, maybe they were 13 14 15 10 18 but when they came out they were adults and they came back to say this is what happened to me so those are some people if you want to look it up for yourself if you're interested i i did not attend those churches so i did not and i did not personally know any of these uh these people though i lived in this area during all those times but i did not know the the uh the priests But I thought it was interesting that they're they're now for uh, and and they actually put if you don't want to read the details, you don't have to go any farther at the website. So they're not going to it's not going to jump out at you and they don't get into gory details. They just say this is the accusation made by these these aged people and and exactly what he did, whether he had whether they were fondling. They make a difference between having sexual intercourse, sodomy uh, or uh, just simply fondling uh, or molesting the person. So uh, you're listening to uh, Lou Benninger. And I guess you don't stumble across a podcast like you would a radio station. But uh, if you came onto this, if you wondered about this particular uh, show, No Hostages Radio, this is Lou Benninger. We're out of Northern California. And we're going to, f- we're finishing our third segment here of six. And we're going to take a short break. And then we're going to be back in probably just maybe five or six minutes. I got a couple clips I want you to hear. And then we'll be back. Give me a chance to refresh my vocal cords. See you in a minute.
1: Capitalism versus socialism. We can sum up each economic system in one line. Capitalism is based on human greed. Socialism is based on human need, right? No. Wrong. So wrong. It's exactly backwards. And I'll prove it to you. Been on Amazon lately? Each of the thousands of products Amazon offers represents the work of people who believe they have something you want or need. If they're right, they prosper. If they're wrong, they don't. That's how the free market works. It encourages people to improve their lives by satisfying the needs of others. No one starts a business making a thing or providing a service for themselves. They start a business to make things or provide services for others. I speak from personal experience. When I was the CEO of the company that owns Carl's Jr. and Hardee's restaurant chains, We spent millions of dollars every year trying to determine what customers wanted. If our customers didn't like something, we changed it, and fast. Because if we didn't, our competitors would, pun intended, eat us for lunch. The consumer, that's you, has the ultimate power. In effect, you vote with every dollar you spend. In a socialist economy, the government has the ultimate power. It decides what you get from a limited supply it decides should exist. Instead of millions of people making millions of decisions about what they want, a few people, government elites, decide what people should have and how much they should pay for it. Not surprisingly, they always get it wrong. Have you ever noticed that late-stage socialist failures always run out of essential items like toilet paper? Of course, this isn't a problem for those who have the right connections with the right people. Those chosen few get whatever they want. But everyone else is out of luck. Venezuela, once the richest country in South America, is the most recent example of socialism driving a prosperous country into an economic ditch. Now, maybe you think it's an unfair example. I'm not sure why, but okay. We'll ignore the fact that leftist activists celebrated it as a great socialist success right up until it wasn't. But what about Western European countries? Don't they have socialist economies? People seem pretty happy there. Why can't we have what they have? Free healthcare, free college, stronger unions. Good question, and the answer may surprise you. There are no socialist countries in Western Europe. Most are just as capitalist as the United States. The only difference, and it's a big one, is that they offer more government benefits than the U.S. does. We can argue about the cost of these benefits and the point at which they reduce individual initiative, thus doing more harm than good. Scandinavians have been debating those questions for years. But only a free-market capitalist economy can produce the wealth necessary to sustain all of the supposedly free stuff Europeans enjoy. To get the free stuff, after all, you have to create enough wealth to generate enough tax revenue to pay for everything the government gives away. Without capitalism, you're Venezuela. In a 2015 speech at Harvard, Denmark's prime minister took great pains to make this point. I know that some people in the U.S. associate the Nordic model with socialism, therefore I would like to make one thing clear. Denmark is far from a socialist planned economy. Denmark is a market economy. So when you point to Denmark as a paragon of socialism, you're really singing the praises of capitalism. The more capitalism, the less socialism you need. Look at America since 2017. A policy of lower taxes and less government regulation, that's more capitalism, has led to a robust economic expansion, something thought impossible just a few years earlier. Unemployment, notably among minority groups, typically most at risk for poverty, is at a generational low. Economic expansion gets people off welfare and into work. That's less socialism. None of this requires a degree in economics. Common sense is all you need. That's why it's so frustrating to see young people praising socialism and criticizing capitalism. It's bad enough that they're working against their own interests. Better job prospects, better wages, personal freedom. But they're also working against the interest of the less fortunate. Capitalism leads to economic democracy. Socialism leads to the economic dictatorship of the elite, always and everywhere. So beware what you ask for, you just might get it. I'm Andy Puster, the author of The Capitalist Comeback for Prager University.
4: right, we are started again. This is Lou Benninger, and uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our clip. And we are going to have another uh, half a show here. We did three segments. If you just kind of got into this, uh, you can go back and and, uh, pick it up wherever you want. You can skip around, but we're in the middle. So uh, I was talking about a lot about CalPERS and about how our uh, different city and county government, state government is collapsing. And it's it, it looks good. If you go out tonight, the lights are on. The police are running around town doing their job. Uh, there are trucks going through town. People are delivering papers. People are doing things, delivering shipments. But what the economists are telling us is that At some point, there's a payday someday. So in Venezuela, you're seeing a society that went beyond the tipping point of correction. And now we have mass riots and people being killed because they are fighting for their lives. Their kids are starving in schools. Their their kids are starving. They can't go to school. Uh, There's no medical care. Uh, you can't get the medicine you need, antibiotics. It, it's a collapse. So, uh, so in a society like ours, uh, the hope would be that you could make correction before it gets to the place of Venezuela where you have to take up arms. So that's why there's such a fight right now about the Second Amendment. We have the liberals in the country wanting us to uh, give up our guns, And you have the conservatives in the country fearing we're losing the rights that the uh, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Founding Fathers awarded us. Uh, and, And even the way they did it, they said, we're not really giving you these rights. These rights come to you by God. We're just acknowledging that you have them. And if ever a government wants to take them away, shoot them. That's why we're giving you guns, right? Not to go hunting. You can go hunting if you want, not to defend yourself or shoot somebody that's molesting your your kid, but to shoot the government who is molesting you. That's what it was for. So there's this tension that goes on and is government too big or too small? But now it's way massively big. And what's happening in California is where we, we lead the nation in a lot of ways. Kind of they used to be said what starts in California will end up going everywhere good or bad so the bad side of it is if you want to know what socialism looks like uh the rest of the united states wherever you're listening from uh you can check california out and you can figure out exactly what it looks like by looking at us right so we uh our governments are collapsing and so our politicians instead of living according to their means what that means is My father used to tell me, Lou, if you can't afford it, don't buy it, right? If you don't have the money in your pocket, do not buy it. And what he was basically saying, he wasn't saying that about a home, but if you can't afford to pay the rent on an apartment, you can't afford to live there. You better get a, you better get two people to share the rent or three people or four people or five people like I did in college. If you can't afford that car to purchase it, don't purchase it on time, right? If you can't afford it, don't buy it. But in our government, we have just spent money thinking that the next guy's going to pay for it. And that's what's going on in CalPERS. We're guaranteeing the pay of if you go to work – and you're 20, 25, 30, 35 years of age, you go to work in any of our government uh, situations, we're guaranteeing that we're going to pay you while you work for us, and we're going to pay you for the rest of your life until you drop dead. So that's just the way it's going to work. And so what I'm talking about here tonight is uh, that you're going to – the government is running out of money. And what they're trying to do is use smoke and mirrors to make you feel like we aren't running out of money uh, in order to take more of your money and describe it like, well, we just need some more money for police and fire. You'll give that money to us, won't won't you? Instead of saying we want more money for pensions, and uh, but most people don't want to pay more money for pensions because they know that's a ripoff. So let me t- talk to you about some of the things that are going on. Uh, and then – Uh, some of the frustrations people are having so recently I noticed in in the media that uh, first Jeff Stevens who's a a farmer and business person along with his wife Cherie they are uh, business people in the area they have Stevens farmhouse which has the best pies in the area and a lot of other cool things cool bakery goods and other uh, farm fresh products Jeff grows walnuts almonds peaches and some of the best watermelons around so Jeff used to be a trauma intervention uh volunteer with me. And he did that for about 4 years. And uh so you know I got to know him. These they're a great family as many of you know. So he'd done a lot of great things and so he got frustrated with with stuff being dumped on his farm property, stuff being garbage, like refrigerators, old uh just old stuff, microwaves, uh couches, mattresses, junk. And so uh, because, you know, a lot of the farmers in our area, the Sacramento Valley, they like to keep things really clean, pristine, looking sharp. They take pride in that, just like businessmen do, business people. So Jeff was complaining about it on Facebook. And so finally he organized a bunch of people, and they went out and started picking stuff up, picking the garbage up. And they picked up like 10 tons like 20 ton of stuff in one weekend in Yuba-Sutter counties. So, uh, and and it was a great, great deal. People were, you know, when you do stuff like that, people have a good feeling about it and they enjoy doing it and they have a good time at it. Uh, And so they've been doing it. I don't know whether they're doing it a couple times a month, once a month, but they've been doing a great job, and they've cleaned up ton after ton after ton after ton after ton. Of, and then other places where it's not big items, but it's a lot of just garbage. It just gets dumped, and they got to shovel and scrape and rake and clean it up, pull it out among bushes. And, the, you know, it's hard work, and they do a great job. And so way to go, everybody. And I don't know what they call it, Love you, besutter I can't remember, or Love YS or something like that. But if you want to find out more about it and you get all, just say, I want to get involved, just call Stevens Farmhouse and ask for Jeff or Cherie and then go buy a pie from them. The reason I brought bring this up is that America really was built not based upon a big government, but on people like the Stevens. And, and so when people in early America saw there was a need, <clears throat> like like maybe they were crossing a stream and and people said, this is a big pain in the rear crossing the stream all the time. We're always getting wet or when it gets high water, we're having problems. Uh, so let's build a bridge. So they would get together and they just build a bridge. They just put together some money and donate money and work and they'd put it up. Just like if they needed a a place for a community hall, they'd build a community hall. They wouldn't ask. They didn't go to government. Or if, or, if their neighbor needed something, or if there was a a kid that was abandoned, their parents got killed. They somebody took the kid in. They just took care of business themselves. So Jeff and Cherie Stevens are a throwback couple to the founding fathers' spirit uh, in the United States, and it was it's what makes America great. The problem is that big government and the entitle, entitlement mentality that liberals have brought to the United States government, starting with way back before Franklin Roosevelt in the New Deal. But you can read read about the change in a great book uh, called The Tragedy of American Compassion by Marvin Olasky. The Tragedy of American Compassion. And um, you can check that out and see what, what happens. So what happens is, like I, I hear it today, people say, I'll say, why don't you— why did you do that right there? Oh, well, you know, the 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 government will pick it, you know, the, the sw- street sweeper will pick up the garbage, right? Or somebody else will pick up the garbage or somebody else will do that. The government's going to do that or the government will do it. Somebody, there's some agency is going to do that. And so big government, that's the concept of some people. They believe in big government where where uh, big government just runs your entire life. They tell you what to eat. They tell you what to drink. They deliver the food. They do whatever. And you have very, very few freedoms, but they supposedly big government knows what's best for you. The founding fathers believed just exactly the opposite, that government doesn't know what's best for you, that you basically know what's best for you. And where there are people that are problem people or something happens uh, that, that needs to be fixed, uh People can solve those problems and if they need government to step in like in times of war or when somebody has taken advantage of other people like stealing from them, shooting them, ripping them off, raping them, then government, you have some government to take control of that stuff. So the interesting thing about the, the Stevens movement, I call it the Stevens movement, cleaning up Yuba Sutter, is where is it going to end? In other words, is there going to be a change in the attitude of residents of Yuba besetter And uh, you know, I, I tell kids in juvenile hall when I speak there, you're either going to be one type of person. You're going to be a giver or you're going to be a taker. You're either going to be uh, sucking from society or you're going to be contributing and making society a better place. And I always ask if you were to evaluate your life, have you done more taking than you have giving? Do you throw the garbage on the ground or do you pick the garbage that somebody else just threw up? The Stevens are givers, Right big givers. So, but when, when there's a tipping point where there's so many people, remember I read Samuel Adams quote in the beginning about virtue versus debauchery. When, when you reach a tipping point where more people live a life of debauchery and sloth and sloppiness, and they don't take care of their own business and take care of their own people and feed their own people and take care of their own property. Uh, then you have a collapse in society. So the question is, is will the behavior of all the people that are donating their time uh, with the effort to clean up Yuba Sutter, will it actually change the mentality of Yuba Sutter residents? I think Jeff and Cherie are hoping for that, right? Don't you think they're hoping for that? Now, unfortunately I've been involved or fortunately, unfortunately I've been involved in painting out graffiti in Yuba Sutter area for over 20 years. And Today, we still have graffiti being put up, and sometimes, as soon as we paint it over, the people that install graffiti put it right back up because that's what they do. They enjoy—I think it's a little bit different than just throwing garbage. I think people just end up with some garbage. They don't know what to do with it. They don't want to pay to go to the dump, so they just think, we'll just dump it over here. No one really cares. Right. Well, somebody does care. I think it's a little bit different than graffiti. Some graffiti artists actually get a a rush, just like smoking some weed or getting high on some meth or cocaine. They get a high off putting up tagging. And so it's a little bit different. But what I've noticed is even though we painted out graffiti, uh, people still put it up and they can do a lot of damage in just a short period of time. Uh, so I wonder, like, I don't, I don't know whether I've changed by painting out graffiti for 20 some years, along with hundreds of other volunteers. I don't know whether we've changed the, the uh, concept of society. I, it, it's interesting, uh, where law enforcement comes in because law enforcement occasionally catches someone painting graffiti and then maybe they put those people in jail or in prison or whatever, uh. And that has some impact. So the question is, how many? Sometimes you just need law enforcement to enforce the law if they can catch people dumping. Right, dumping. Like I know out in Sutter County, some people have dumped hundreds of used tires. It's a big problem, right? Used tires. It's expensive. Maybe I don't know what they cost to go to the dump. Maybe they charge you a dollar a tire. I don't know what the charge is. But the fact is, whoever's handling the tires, maybe it's a uh, a car de- uh, a tire dealership that somebody comes and says i'll take those tires off your hands if you pay me to haul them and then they go, instead of hauling them to the dump they haul them and dump them out in Sutter County or Yuba County and uh so then uh so the question is will good works change the hearts of the rest of the community the fact is it only takes a few people to really screw the whole place up like one tagger can do 50 or 100 tags in a day And one one dumper can dump a lot if that's their business If they go around and collect garbage, get paid for it and dump it out in the uh, rural areas. Uh, I don't know how they're why they're dumping it, what the motives are probably different motives. The reason I brought this up is at some point people take things into their own hands. For instance, Jeff and Cherie, they got fed up with uh, people dumping garbage. And so instead of just cleaning up garbage on their property. They didn't like it on their neighbor's property when their neighbors got abused, so they organized, and they they can't do it all themselves, so they organized a whole group of people. So they're cleaning up places in Yuba and Sutter County. So people take things into their own hands. So on the negative side of things, when, when justice doesn't prevail, people commit crimes and don't get put in jail, or they don't get put in jail long enough. Or they don't get a, what the victims consider a fair sentence. They take matters into their own hands. We call that vigilanteism. Being vigilant, right? Vigil, vigilant, vigilanteism. And that's where people don't feel that the government, who they have paid and they created a government. Remember, I said earlier in the show that we've created government to uh, create a, a security and safety protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our property. So, so when we don't feel we're, we have enough time to do that ourselves, we hire somebody, we pool our money, and we hire police officers. So we organize cities and counties and then states in order to provide that kind of protection. But then, the, then they, they end up creating these big, what we wanted was police and fire and maybe some infrastructure help. Then they create this big government and give us services we don't even want. Right. That like they go on the news and tell me that I need to that I need to uh, drink some water today because it's hot outside. Well, I don't need to pay. I don't want to pay government to tell me to drink water. I don't want to pay government to tell me to wear a big coat because it's cold out today. My mother used to tell me to do that. Didn't make any difference anyway. So I don't want to pay government to do that. So when government becomes huge. And uh, that's why we have government collapsing. So at what point then do we have vigilante? And so so the the Stevens are kind of using good works vigilantism. In other words, the county of Sutter and the county of Yuba was not were not cleaning up all the messes that were being created by the citizens. That's also the way it is. Remember, I men- mentioned Samuel Adams talked about the entire government would collapse if people were not people of virtue, and so when. So what you have is you just let things go. You have bigger and bigger piles of garbage, not out at the dump, not at where the recycling goes on at, at Ostrom Road or Recology, but throughout the county. People dump everywhere. You know, at one point, people dumped all their garbage that way. Do you ever think about that? People just had dumps on their property, and they dumped all their garbage. And that's why you had rats. Disease, And so when we said, Oh no, 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 now what we're going to do is pick up all the garbage. We're going to move it over there. We're going to handle it a certain way. So you don't have disease, right? So you think, how come people don't get as sick anymore? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Sewage, how we handle our sewage and garbage. So we have the, the, uh, the Stevens who are, are on a movement to pick up all the refuse that's being dumped out of the back of pickups. And, uh, in bags, funky diapers, all kinds of gnarly stuff. Instead of going to the dump and people paying to haul it to the dump, got that? You hold that thought. Okay, here's another one. I talked about graffiti, so here's another one. So in the state of California, who has the highest gas prices in the in the nation by over a dollar a gallon higher? In other words, that's if you take the average national price. The average. That's not the lowest. You can find prices that are two dollars, almost two dollars a gallon lower, in some spots in the United States. But if you if you take the average, you're paying five, six hundred dollars if you drive thirty thousand miles a year. You're paying anywhere from. Well, let me just put it this way: Some people say you're paying twelve, thirteen hundred dollars more per year. But I just say if you're driving a, if I figured out. If you're doing thirty thousand miles a year, you got a thirty thirty mile in, uh, per gallon car. Uh, you're probably blowing another five hundred dollars just because you live in California, right? And so it isn't wrong to think that if there if you're getting taxed for gas, if you're getting taxed for all your automotive supplies, if you're getting you're paying a, paying a fee to have a car in the state of California, you're paying a fee. You're paying a fee every year you're paying taxes when you purchase the car that some of those monies or most of those monies hopefully would go for an infrastructure called roads and bridges right but we have I think out of all 50 states I think we're about like 47th or 48th worst quality of all and so and and then you get into the local cities and then you're it depends on how they're spending their share of the road money so Uh, So what do you do? I mean, what do you do when the state, you keep paying more and more taxes, and then they just raise taxes again, and Governor Brown said, we're not going to use any of the current budget, even though we have billions of dollars in excess. We're not going to use any for roads. If you want your roads fixed, all you fossil users, and I think he called people, what do you call them, cheapskates? Or he called all the taxpayers some kind of disparaging term i'll think of it it isn't cheapskates uh it's another term along those lines but he said you need to pass sb1 which people did or or we're going to pass sb1 which they did that the legislature and then we tried to repeal it and it failed on prop six so sb1 increased some people got a hundred dollars a year increase on their dmv fees but in increased taxes, and then we pay extra, in other words, it's on and on and on. Taxes are going up every single year now on gas. But they don't go to roads. And now, even though they said we're going we're gonna to raise all this extra money on SB1, 50-some billion dollars. But then Gavin Newsom comes in, the new governor, said we're not going to, I changed my mind, we're not going to do that. We're, gonna, we're not going to do it that way. So whether they do it or not, here's the problem. Like right out in front of my house. I got some puddles out there when it rains because, you know, it just happens. Everything, if you leave anything to itself, it falls apart. It doesn't matter whether it's your body or your house or your car. It just, everything, everything just falls apart and needs maintenance, right? It's nobody's fault. It just, you need to plan for it, right? In other words, if you don't plan for your car to break down, you're going to end up walking someday. So... uh, Anyway, I, I was talking about the Stevens and their good works vigilanteism. In other words, they're taking over what government said. Oh, government says just give us your money, we'll take care of everything. Well, they don't take care of everything, right? So uh, they don't do a good job on anything they do. They don't do a good job on welfare. They don't do good job. They can't do job training. They do a lousy job of that. They just don't do a good job anywhere they are. I think the best thing they do. Is what we hired them for. They do best at law enforcement and firefighting. That's what they do best at. We probably got best out of that. So let's talk about this. So some people just take matters into their own hands. So it says, imagine uh, this one article. uh, Imagine waking up one morning, getting into your car and going to work and turning down the corner. And there you see it, a giant sketch of a penis on the road. What do you do? Laugh it out or get offended? So there's this city. I didn't look up to see what state this city's in, but it's T's. uh the locals of Teesside. Uh and that's in I it's in a larger area called something else. I'll stumble across it here in a minute. But it's in Teesside and people I, I imagine it being just like Marysville because the photos in the article they reminded me of streets in Marysville. There's just a a foot out, a chunk out here, a chunk out there, a depression here, a crack here. And so um, so an artist just took it upon himself, uh, and I think it's more than one, to, to use an obscene gesture for something completely, uh, instead of just being offensive. Like sometimes I'll get a call from law enforcement, they'll say, Lou, we got an obscene gesture. It's painted up here on this freeway and it's uh, a picture of genitalia or it's a FU or kill cops or, but a lot of times it's sexual in nature and they think it's going to be embarrassing for families. So we go right out and paint it out. So in this case in side, they use an obscene gesture for something completely different, right? So there's a Facebook page and I haven't gone there yet, but a Facebook page, uh, to this phenomenon, they got started in T-Side. It's called T-Side Connected. So I'll spell it for you if you want to go look at it. T's T-Side. T-E-E-S-S-I-D-E. Connected. T-Side Connected. Two words. T-Side Connected. I'm going to go look at it after I finish the show and uh, look on their Facebook page. <clears throat> so they said this page dedicated to these, this phenomenon circulated the story of a gaping open potholes. They got fed up, fed up. They went to city, the city fathers, the city mothers, whatever you want to call them. And they got fed up and they said, uh, we're, we're tired of complaining. And so they just went at each of these potholes and they painted a gigantic penis, uh, genitalia on the pavement. And, uh, and so, what happened is those spots got fixed. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it had been the w- one spot they showed had been unrepaired, they said, for a whole year. It just was, they just hit hit it with a tire, boom, gravel pothole in, in pavement, just like we have here in Marysville. And uh, it had gone for a year. And finally, once they pa- painted their uh, graffiti around it, it got fixed. Right. Now, I had suggested in Marysville that if the city of Marysville would give everyone a can of that asphalt fix, we could just maybe if they give a few every block, just a five gallon bucket. We could go out and just fill those things ourselves. And that would hold for a while. Right. And just spread the spread the work and just give us the product. And we'll just go out and spread it ourselves and fill those holes up but uh anyway this area is called Mid- Middlesbrough Middlesbrough council city council under which Teeside resides in other words it's probably a one small area in this Middlesbrough and uh so this anonymous artist has started with anonymous artists and uh so that he felt he was making a difference right so the the stevens are out picking up garbage And this guy is painting penises on on the asphalt, which in the city, because they want to get rid of that, they go out and pave over it. And so the the street artist goes by the name Wanksy and Wanksy is his name, not Wanksy, Wanksy, W-A-N-K-S-Y. He's dedicated his life to creating sketches of genitalia over potholes to ensure that they come into the spotlight and get fixed. Now, the reason they get fixed is that bugs people. And it's the same reason that, that law enforcement would contact me and say, Lou, I know you'll get to this other graffiti over here that got gang graffiti or somebody, Joe Loves Susie or whatever. But we got to get this done now because it has genitalia or whatever. So this wanksy, he's been doing this genitalia. And uh, because they know he's a sharp guy, he knows it will attract a public eye. And a lot of times you just get used to ignoring graffiti, don't you? I do. Or at least I try to. So uh, anyhow, that's, that's the story on that. And, uh, but it's people taking uh, things into their own hands the same way we've done a number of things around here. Stevens did garbage. Uh, I did. Uh, some people have, have gone out and they think they're helping homeless people. By feeding them other people, they think we're creating a bigger problem by feeding the homeless instead of letting them just go to the normal government sources to get money and f- buy their own food. And then when they run out of that money, then they maybe they'll get the uh, incentive to go get a job. So uh, that's another whole argument, isn't it? It's like some people said, I wish churches wouldn't go out there and feed these people because all they're doing is. Is prolonging their living in the river bottoms and polluting the river. It's an argument, right? You can make that argument either way. I don't know. I don't know whether I have an answer to that. Some people that we help, we give them a hand up. But most of what I think goes on is people give a hand out, right? You just keep giving people. You don't give a person a, a teach piece, a person how to fish, as they say. You just give them another fish every once in a while, keep them going. They use the government money to for their heroin habit or their meth habit, and they use the church sandwich for their stomach habit. Right. That may be what's going on, but I don't know. You'll have to sort that out. You know, not not everybody agrees with me, but I agree with Marvin Olasky, who wrote the book Tragedy of American Compassion in the early poverty fighters and the early early charitable workers were social workers that worked for private institutions public charities that had they cared about maybe they focused on orphans or they focused on pregnant teen girls or they focused on addicts and uh, but they were strong believers in this fact there's good charity and there's bad charity good charity uh, provokes a person to change their life and move on in their life and then become a helper instead of a hindrance a giver rather than a taker Bad charity uh, does just the opposite. It just keeps the person doing what they're doing and, it, and doesn't instill any change in their lives. Good charity versus bad charity. Okay, we're at another break. We're in at the end of our fourth segment. We've got two segments to go. I'm going to play you a couple more clips that I liked this week, and so I'm going to share them with you, and uh, we'll be right back. The has to be well, just the one of the kind. How many dollars do I need, sir? You know, I
5: sure don't have a lot. There must be something we can work out. Well, I'll take it anyway.
7: The rich get richer and the poor get poorer.
6: The rich getting richer
7: and the poor getting poorer. The poor get poorer? People keep talking about the evil of income inequality. This is the living room in a $16 million
1: penthouse apartment.
7: It's true that some rich people have gotten absurdly rich. But the other claim that they got rich, while the poor people got poorer.
3: It's just a myth. As we've increased the number of billionaires around the world, extreme poverty has actually shrunk down.
7: Former investment banker Carol Roth points out that anyone who pays attention knows that as the rich got richer, most poor people got richer too. Worldwide, more than a billion people rose out of poverty. Yes, the rich got even richer, but why is that a problem? Consider poor me and rich me. Over the past 40 years, we rich Americans got 200% richer. Lucky me. I got just 32% richer. I didn't gain as much as he did. But I don't see how I'm hurt. I'm 32% richer. And yes, that's adjusting for inflation. And it doesn't even count all the cool new stuff innovation gave me. And here's Here's another another misleading misleading claim. claim. A lack of economic mobility. The lack of economic mobility. Watching the news, you'd think people born poor in America have little chance to become rich. A striking lack of economic mobility in America. It's true that people with rich parents have a big advantage. But it's not like Americans are locked in. Economists at Harvard and Berkeley crunched the numbers and found most people born to the richest fifth of Americans fell out of that bracket within 20 years. Likewise, most born to the poorest fifth climbed to a higher quintile. Some make it all the way to the top. One study looking at that top bracket found...
3: Three out of four Americans will hit that top 20% at some point in their lifetime.
7: Three out of four people?
3: Yes. There is the opportunity to have that mobility and to make an amazing income in this country.
7: You see that if you just look at the billionaires on the Forbes richest list. Most are self-made. In other words, they didn't inherit the money, they created their own fortunes. But politicians and the media say that inequality itself is a huge problem.
4: Frustrations over income inequality.
7: There's an inequality in this country right now that is threatening to tear us apart. It might tear us apart if people come to believe that all inequality is evil. But why is that true? Progressives like to point out that Scandinavian countries have much more equal incomes than America does. But incomes are more equal than Afghanistan, too. Incomes tend to be equal when everyone is poor. Total equality isn't possible. Some people are just better singers than others. The best performer in the country. The best athletes are just physically
3: different. There's inequality in everything. There's inequality in free time. There's inequality in parents. I don't have any parents or grandparents. We're all so different in so many ways. I have two kidneys. There are people out there who need one, don't have one that functions. Should the government be able to take my kidney because somebody else needs it?
7: How is it not wrong that some people have so much more than others.
3: What's wrong about that? It's absolutely right. It's unfair. Life is unfair. Unfair is good. Unfair is a feature. It's not a bug.
7: Something to think about next time someone tells you that it's government's job to make everyone equal.
4: So, Lou Beninger. We're back, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. And this show uh, should be up on May 4, and you can listen to it whenever you want it. Uh, whether you want to listen a month from now or listen some listen to it from outer Slombogia, uh, you can uh, listen on a website called No Hostages Radio. Dot com. If you just overhear this on somebody else's device, nohostagesradio.com on a device or a computer, or you could go to iTunes or they say on Google, uh, Google Play or whatever, any place you get your, uh, those two places where you look, listen to podcasts, you can put in no hostages radio and should be able to find us and play us. And they tell me. That if you subscribe, and I understand there's, I don't know, between a couple of pushing 100 to 200 subscribers, whatever they call them, you don't have to pay anything. You just hook up, and then when I post, uh, when we post, I don't actually post, but Tanner, who does all the tech stuff for me, Tanner Martis, um, he uh, when he posts, it'll it'll alert your phone, and you can say, oh, there's a podcast I'm interested in, and you could go check it out if you want to. So, uh, anyhow, here we go. Um, so we were talking at the end of the last segment about good charity and bad charity. I'm an advocate of, I think a lot of people practice with good motives, practice bad charity. I think government practices without any particular good motives. Uh, bad charity. Because, uh, in fact, I saw a person write something about, uh, he was a fellow that posted something on face- Facebook this week about helping uh, these, these fires, fire victims from what we call the camp fire up in Paradise. And he was involved in the, the uh, helping all these thousands of victims out of the Paradise area. and And he found that the organization he was working with got very complicated and very bureaucratic and very difficult to work with and to do it. What, you know, there were so many opinions on what was fair and how to help people and how to not help people that that were trying to rip the system off. It gets complicated, right? But he, but he, he just quit and resigned from the board and his, his kind of his pitch was, Hey, it's good that everybody's helping and we needed to help and everybody had good motives, but he said, What I loved when I quit that, I just focused this on a handful of people that I could have personal relationship with, and I helped them. And it was rewarding for them, for him, and he built a relationship with them. Now, the er early poverty fighters in America believed that breaking the cycle of poverty or addiction or whatever, a part of it was reestablishing broken family lines and broken relationships. And many times people that are floundering have have broken. They don't have a, a network connection to the community. So you abuse things and abuse people many times that you don't have a relationship with. If you knew their name, knew their family, and uh, they'd done some kind acts towards you in the past, you probably would be hesitant to tag their car or their house. But if it's an anonymous person or an anonymous side of a, a building, then uh, you don't have any connection to it. Like I had a kid one day tell me, I asked him why he held up. He he held up or he broke – he used did an armed robbery. I said, why did you do that? It was like a business like Walgreens or some, you know, well-known business. I said, why did you do that? He said, they, had, they have a lot of money. That was it. He said they had a lot of money. He had no – no concept that that somebody earned that money and that was going to go to somebody else. But he thought they had lots more money than I do. And so he had no moral uh, respect or what we call Samuel Adams founding father would say virtue. He had no concept of the of the concern of the people of Walgreens or whatever group he he robbed. He said they had plenty of money or they had they had more than I had, or they they abuse people or they charge too much for their products, right? So therefore, if they charge too much of the groceries, I'm going to go in and steal money from them. That was his logic, screwy logic, right? So what the poverty fighters in early America felt is if you can reestablish, like for instance, when I, first thing I asked many people that are struggling, I says, who's your family and how are you connected to your family? Most of them are not. If they're drug abusers, they, their family has washed their hands of them or they don't want to help them anymore because it they feel like they're wasting their money, right? And they want accountability from this drug addict, right? So what the early poverty fighters tried to do is rebuild or reestablish relationships between the needy, the addict, or the poor person or whatever and family members or the community. So instead of just giving them money, they would say, well, why don't you go down and there's this lady down the street. She needs some wood split and she's a single woman. She can't do it herself. She's an old woman. You split her wood. We will, we will help you with some food. And in other words, they worked out a network of, of a uh, service where that person helped. Now, when I worked at Church of Glad Tidings for 20, 30 years, we set up a benevolence program. People could come out there and work for a day. We'd pay them cash at the end of the day or check at the end of the day. So they didn't have to wait for it. So many of them wanted me to – it's interesting. People wanted to be paid before they went to work. Have you ever seen that before? And uh, so I I, uh, I tell people, i said on a drug deal. You don't front the money either. But uh, I said, no, we're not going to front you money if you want to come out and work. They said, well, I need the money right now and you give me the money. Then I'll come and work for you, work it off. But people don't do that. Try it and uh, try it and see how it works for you. So instead of just thinking, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. The thing is, use your own money and try it because we were using our own money. So I found that people would say, yeah, I'm going to come out and work. They would need diapers, me to pay their utility bill, me to do this, me to do that. And Or the woman would call, and you could hear the guy in the background. I said, who's that in the background? Oh, that's my boyfriend. I said, why don't you put him on the phone? Or or can he come out? Oh, I can't come to work. I'm pregnant. Can't the boy from the background, can he come out work? Well, he's busy. He can't come right now. So anyway, we had people come out and work, and we'd pay them. And during the time that we would have them work, we'd sit down and talk to them and talk to them about their lives. And many times we'd find out areas of their life they needed help in. And they needed more help than just money. They needed help to change their life. They needed to learn how to live. They didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to behave. Uh, They didn't know how to uh, get off drugs or alcohol. They They didn't know how to present themselves to an employer. They just, they were ignorant, right? Ignorant people don't do well in our society. So, uh, so anyway, uh, that's the big challenge, uh, in all these areas, helping you have all these people camping all over California. You think, how did this happen? Did all of a sudden a lot of people get born? Like they say, Oh, there's all these people being born autistic today. There are. Did all of a sudden all these people get born and, and they had a flat spot on the brain. And they went through elementary school and high school, and then they just said, I think I'm going to go live at the river bottoms. I don't think so. One decision after another, wrong decisions, bad decisions, difficult, making uh, making life difficult for yourself, ended up generating, instead of living in a house after 20, 30 years of should be work, of just goofing off, getting loaded, uh, you ended up in the river bottoms. Now, Government workers always like to talk about mental health, the mental health of these people. And, and then, because mental health, you're kind of a victim, right? But many of the mental health cases are people that have drank and, and shot their way, shot dope, and they've shot their way and drank their way into a mental health stupor. And if you get these people off that, they will, they will clear up and straighten up their lives. Now, in Rhode Island, I saw a great documentary and uh, it's too long to play on the on the radio here, but a great documentary on more aggressive law enforcement and in arresting people like right now we're doing the opposite in California. We are letting people go on drug drug fines. We don't even arrest a lot of them. We just simply cite them and release them, and it, it they could really spend years screwing up their life, and the system really never gets involved. But when they're talking to people in Rhode Island that they're arresting and then they're challenging them, they're either going to do time or which they think is is merciful in Rhode Island. They're either going to do time or they're going to go into rehabs. A lot of the people that are in rehabs are saying, I'm thankful the cops arrested me. I'm thankful the government took an interest in intervention in my life because I would have died. I would have died out there and it's interesting to me that the politicians think they're being merciful and less less difficult on criminals if you want to call them criminals or addicts let's just call them addicts by letting them flounder with government assistance and not putting them in an institution and addressing their their uh their addiction problems now i go into jail I'm way ahead of a lot of you folks on it not because I'm better than you or smarter than you I just spend more time with these people and I talk to them and I work with addicts every week and I I'm in Yuba County jail where most of them are clean so they can get they bring contraband into jail and some of them get high in jail but a lot of times they're clean and they and they're pretty cool people actually pretty cool people they're clean and And they're pretty talented and they're not in and I enjoy being with them. But the challenge is, is to get their thinking different. So when they walk out that door, the first thing they're not going to go for is some kind of addictive product to use and start the whole process over again or uh, leave with good intentions, but not have any other alternative laid out for them. So the only alternative when they let them out at 10 or 11 at night or 12 at night, which some jails let you out in the middle of the night, they have nowhere to stay. So they go back to their old stomping grounds and they get high again. Right. Instead of that, they say my friends say that are good at helping people get out of jail and stay out of jail is the first 24 hours, they said, is the most critical time in helping people. So uh, the fact is. uh, In Rhode Island, they are having a much more aggressive approach to people that are killing themselves. You think, what are people doing when they're just out on the streets all day addicted? You think that's good for their mental health? They're destroying their mental health. They're destroying their physical body. And we're just watching it happen. And the government is actually funding it. And so what uh, Walter Williams... Uh, Although, unfortunately, he's not on the radio anymore. He used to pinch hit for Rush Limbaugh occasionally. Walter Williams is famous for saying, if you want more of something, subsidize it. If you want less of something, you tax it. So if you want more of single mother-raised babies, you fund that. You'll fund that way of living. If you want more of addiction... People staying addicted, getting addicted, staying addicted, then you'll provide, provide general assistance, and if they get loaded long enough, then you could get them on uh, disability because you decide this person is too far gone to ever come back, right? Too far gone to ever come back. And so, uh, so we fund it, so what are we, we're getting more of it? So you think, where did all this come from? Look at San Francisco. It's unbelievable. Look at L.A., look at Sacramento, look at San Diego, look at Marysville. I don't know where you're listening from, but look at look at your city. Some cities are much worse than others, right? Uh, because I think per- particularly those of us that live in a milder climate uh, and have more open spaces, we we see a lot more of it here maybe. I don't know. But even when I was back in Queens, New York, I was doing an outreach in Queens, New York. They had people living under the bridges, along the rivers, very cold in New York, very, very, very cold in the winter. But people were there living out in, uh, under cardboard boxes, and, and we took hygiene packs to them and stuff. So uh, it's an interesting approach, and, and Rhode Island seems to be doing some innovative things, but California is going the exo- exact opposite way of Rhode Island. We are facilitating and financing drug use. We're facilitating and financing, uh, lawbreaking. Uh, we, we won't arrest people for, uh, violating the laws that like, for instance, we have actually a, uh, a two, two standards of laws right now. We have laws for me. Like I can't go out and take a pee in the middle of the street, right? They'll arrest me, but a homeless guy could, and they're not going to arrest him. Uh, if I, if I just camped, if I pulled in and I had a funky, if, not a funky, but if I had a camper and I had a truck and I pulled into Riverfront Park and I just started camping down there, they would cite me. In fact, they just cited a guy I noticed the other day, a guy posted on Facebook. He he went down, he had a truck and a trailer and a boat, and he parked everything down at Riverfront Park at the boat ramp, and he he went and went fishing. And then he came back and he had a citation on his window. Now they cited him for not paying a fee to use the boat ramp because the boat ramp didn't used to be there because they let it let it fall apart. And then some innovative people in government here put it back together. I won't go into that whole story, but they put it back together and then they charge a small fee to use it. And for whatever reason, this guy didn't want to pay that fee. So... Anyway, they gave him a ticket. And so his comment was, I would have said, hey, you know, pay the small fee to, to drop your boat in. Otherwise, you've got to go across the river to drop it in. But he says, hey, those there were other homeless people parked all over the place, up and down the street over there right now in Riverfront Park. And so he's saying those people could park anyway, anywhere they want, but he can't park his boat and trailer or his trailer and car wherever he wants. Good point. I think he makes a good point. Should he have paid the boat ramp thing? I think he should have paid the boat ramp thing. But the fact is, when you allow people to live everywhere, anywhere, then why can't everyone, everybody do everything everywhere, right? So, for instance, at some point, water, the water costs in Mary'sville are going to get prohibitive where you can't afford to use the water from California Water it's four four times as high as Yuba City Oliverst and Linda because a private water company owns doesn't own the water they get the water for free it's under you'd think the water under where you live belongs to you kind of right you could like drink it if you wanted if you could tap into it but no not here Cal water they take that water out of the ground they own it they they get to use it for free they They check it for quality, and then they pipe it over to your house and charge you for it, right? And um, so they charge I don't mind them doing that. That's a service, right? I don't want to have to bucket water, and I don't want to have to drill my own well. But the fact is, at some point, just like the homeless can just live wherever they want and dump their garbage wherever they want and be loaded on drugs out in public wherever they want, why couldn't property owners in the city of Marysville drill a well? Yeah, I know. Well, there's probably rules against that. Yeah, I know. Forget the rules. What we're what we're saying is there's large groups of society now saying forget the rules. I'm not obeying the rules. I'm an exception to the rule, right? I'm going to live by a different rule because I don't want to live according to your rule. And I'm getting ripped off over here, right, with your rules. I don't want to have to pay for an apartment, pay utilities. I don't have to pay, I don't have to clean my own dishes. I just want to throw the stuff in the river, right? So that's just one group of people saying they don't want to play by the rules. So if I say with Cal Water, if I hire a small little well drilling operation on the weekend, pop me a little well and 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 I just don't use my Cal Water service anymore, right? I just turn turn my water off and just tap into my new well, into my spigot and just come in the sideways off my house and just turn off the water at the street. And uh, I may still have to pay for the service of Cal water, but I don't have to pay for the water, which is fantastically expensive. So I could save thousands of dollars a year simply by pump pump my own well. So my point is at what point do we just say I'm an exception to the rule right now? I'm kind of the, the white, middle class or low lower middle class guy that has to pay everything has to obey everything. I'm going to get arrested, cited, fined, warned, disciplined by everybody for everything in order for all these other people to screw off. Right. And not, not, that's what the guy in the river bottoms was saying the other day by saying, Hey, I just want to come down here to fish. And I thought, Hey, why do I pay to just part my boat here? my boat trailer when all those people are just like dumping garbage and and like they're squatting over there i'm not squatting so he didn't pay and he got a he said i think he said he got a hundred or two hundred dollar fine it's a huge fine so something to think about all right so um let's see i wanted to mention a couple things here um I was talking earlier about the public pensions and you can read an article our public pensions fair our public pensions fair uh, you can read it on uh territorialdispatch dot or sorry dot biz I think I said dot com earlier territorialdispatch dot B I Z. Please don't do com. It's biz territorialdispatch.biz. You can read my articles in there every week. I do two. Last week, this week, actually, it's it's running this week. Are public pensions fair? And if you live in the private sector, you in the public sector, if you're a public employee, I'm all for you. Uh, I have, in fact, I spent some time talking to a wonderful lady friend of mine that works for child protective services. She does a wonderful job. And she was educating me on adult protective services because I need to do a talk on it. And uh, because we're trying to help older people uh, that aren't doing well in their home. So she educated me. So I'm not saying people don't shouldn't get pensions. I'm just saying so the people that work for the public sector, if they're promised a certain pay and a certain pension, then we need to honor our promises, right? Unless we run totally out of money. That's going to be another problem. I'm just saying, is that fair? So uh, when when you go to work for the cops, the sheriff, whatever, when you go to work for public works, you're not going in there to argue an argument. Well, I don't think these. I think maybe we got paid too much for pensions. I thank you for the pension, but that's too much. They're not going to say, oh, we're going to change the pension. In you know, it's a it's a moot point. You that's not a place to argue it. But if you want to read my argument. Uh, that, in fact, public pensions are unfair to the people that have to pay the majority of them, which is the private sector. You have to pick up the tab. So uh, anyway, there were 30,969 pension checks if you did one check, but they pay over 12 months, right? You get your checks every month. So there were 30,969 pension checks of $100,000 or more uh, that went out in the state of California last year, right? And so you think, whoa, how did they get up the pensions that high? It's an interesting thing that happened. Back in 1999 and 2001, CalPERS, remember remember the dot-com crisis? Remember the the dot-com Uh, bubble that was created when people invested in these technology industries in silicon valley and their stocks just went through the roof i mean people became wealthy by investing in stock uh, dot-com stocks but people that didn't get out in in a proper and timely fashion ended up uh losing a lot of money as well but during that dot-com growth In 1990 and 1999 and 2001, the union leaders of CalPERS, the public employment retirement services company, the pension people in California, they went to the legislature and they said, listen, we can afford to give our public employees a lot more money in retirement. And um, we can increase the percentage times the number of years. Remember, I said. CHP was getting 3% times however many years they served as CHP. So 3% if they served 30 years, 3% times 30, 3 times 30 is 90. That that means they got 90% of their highest earning year for the rest of their life. So, but before it was 3%, they were lower percentages. <clears throat> but CalPERS came in and convinced the legislature That they could afford to pay because they were making a lot of money on their investments. And they said, you know, we can afford to pay public employees a lot more money and it won't cost the taxpayer any money, no money. And why would they even bring up the taxpayer in that discussion? The reason they brought it up is that taxpayers are footing the bill. I'm footing the bill for my own retirement because I'm not a public employee. But then in my tax dollars, I'm footing the bill for some of my friends that work in the public sector. Did you know that? Because they're not footing their whole, their whole bill. And they're getting lots, lots more money than I'm earning on what I put aside. Because they're guaranteeing them a return on, on investments. So, for instance, if they're going to guarantee a highway patrolman $90,000 for the rest of his life or $100,000 for the rest of his life or her life. That means that regardless that they have to take they they're not going to make that much money on his investments, so they're going to have to take that money from future taxpayers to pay it forward right it's a kind of like a if you look when to look up Ponzi scheme p o n z i p o n z i Charles Ponzi and look it up in on uh, Google at Wikipedia whatever and you'll realize how a Bernie Madoff scheme or a Ponzi scheme, Charles Ponzi, how you're the, – the first investors in the system make a lot of money, but it always costs the the future investors to pay off all these other people. So the argument said – the CalPERS people said in 1999 and 2001, this increase where they, they, they raise – particularly law enforcement got big raises, got up to 3%. Uh, and some, some people went from the high 1%, almost 2% up to 2.5 to 2.5. So a lot of people got raises back then as it's kind of like when one occupation gets raises and the next occupation said, Hey, they got raises. So we should get raises. We're public employees as well. So it, 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 uh, It instigated a lot of raises throughout the public employee system. So when CalPERS said it will not cost, quote, a dime of additional taxpayer money, unquote, the fact is that right after they passed all that legislation and they gave all that extra money, the dot-com system collapsed. And CalPERS uh, went in the the red. So let's look at in 2018— the average annualized pension—that means what, what you got in a year, right? Uh, for state state uh, pension for general retirees, sixty-three thousand in change. Local, like a city retiree, seventy almost seventy-five thousand or county seventy-five thousand in change. Police and fire, state police and fire seventy-five thousand rounded up. Local one hundred and eight thousand. That's average, average local that's city count county one hundred and eight thousand for the rest of their life now that 's why you, it's not sustainable it doesn 't mean I like to don't like people in fact I like them I, in fact I work with them i 'm just saying it's not sustainable and uh and and that 's why the taxpayer you and I who aren 't public employees we're contributing because the, the politicians made commitments to the unions that The taxpayer cannot afford to keep. So what I wrote in the article that that asked the question, are public pensions fair? Yuba County right now has accumulated one hundred and forty seven little Yuba County. We only have uh, 70,000 people living in Yuba County, little Yuba County, six hundred and I don't know, six hundred sixty four, twenty four. Miles, 644, 24, 64 miles, over 600, 70,000 people, rural California. We owe on top of all the pay, the payments we're already paying 147 more million more dollars to CalPERS to cover the people that are working and have worked for Yuba County. 147 million. Can you even get your mind? I can't even get my mind wrapped around that. And the county, the, the CalPERS said that the county needs to prepare for a 64% increase in pension costs. You remember I talked earlier about Dave Howell from up in Butte County saying how their pension costs were going up and 20, 25% of the budget was going to be going out in pension costs. And they said, there's no way we can afford that. In this one, the county needs to prepare for 64% increase in pension costs over the next five or six years. It's all coming out of the general fund. And so that's why I I did the the penis graffiti artwork around the potholes, because I think you're going to see a lot of vigilanteism of people just saying, listen, we're paying you all this money. And you, you're not getting the job done, and now you're wanting more money, more money, more money. We're going to talk more about this when we come back on our final segment. You're listening to Lou Benninger. We're broadcasting out of Yuba County up here in the state of Jefferson. And this is No Hostages Radio. We'll be back in a bit.
3: You can run for cover.
8: Years ago, Senator Bernie Sanders posted an article on his website that said Venezuela was living the American dream better than America. Yesterday, the military forces of Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro used armored vehicles to run over civilians. Do not forget. Here's the article on Bernie Sanders' website where it is still posted today. These days, it says, The American dream is more apt to be realized in South America and places like Ecuador, Venezuela, and Argentina, where incomes are actually more equal today than they are in the land of Horatio Alger. Who's the banana republic now? So where is Bernie Sanders now? Maduro is running over civilians with armored vehicles. Where are the Democrats condemning that? Bernie Sanders? Silent. AOC? Silent. That should scare us. Why won't Bernie Sanders condemn the violent dictator Maduro? Look at Bernie Sanders' Twitter page today. Nothing. Instead, Bernie is tweeting about gun control. But you know what? In 2012, Maduro and his socialist thugs banned private gun ownership in Venezuela. They took away people's guns. They disarmed the citizenry. And look at what happened. Do you think if the Venezuelan people were armed and able to defend themselves, that Maduro's thugs would have run over them with armored vehicles? I doubt it. Do you think if the Venezuelan people were armed, Maduro's thugs would execute people in the streets for criticizing the government? Do you think if the Venezuelan people were armed, Maduro's thugs would throw dissenters in jail and torture them? I think not. But what do we hear from Bernie Sanders? Nothing. First, he praised the Venezuelan regime and their socialism. Now when they starve their population when babies are dying in hospitals, when Maduro's forces are brutally beating and sexually abusing political prisoners, Bernie Sanders is silent. Instead, Bernie's tweeting about his Medicare for all government-run socialist healthcare system. Meanwhile, in socialist Venezuela and their healthcare system, a little girl nearly died from a knee scrape because she couldn't get antibiotics. The only reason she ultimately got the medicine that saved her life months later was because the little boy in the hospital room next door to hers died, and his mother gave her his leftover medicine. But what do we hear from Bernie Sanders? Nothing. He's still a socialist. He still wants to bring that socialism here to the United States. He still refuses to answer any questions about what makes his socialism different than Maduro's. Because it's not different. Why wouldn't the American people suffer like the Venezuelan people if we became socialists too? we would. This is the difference between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats stay silent as the Venezuelan people are oppressed and killed at the hands of a socialist regime. Democrats call the uprising in Venezuela a coup. It's not a coup. Juan Guaido is the legitimate interim president of Venezuela. Nicolas Maduro is an illegitimate dictator. Republicans know the people of Venezuela deserve, have a right to take their freedom back. And we, the American people, can never let government bureaucrats like Bernie Sanders take away our liberty, because make no mistake, we will end up just like Venezuela if we fall for the same dangerous socialist trope.
4: Talking about California going broke, and it's going broke because we got too much pension debt. We can't afford to pay people what we promised them. So we either got to say, I'm sorry, we can't afford to pay that. And the next people that we're hiring, we can't afford to pay you what we used to pay all the other people. We just can't afford to do that. There's not enough money left. So we're talking about that. And, um, We're talking about in August in Yuba County here, we're fighting a a lawsuit. People that fought Measure K, that's going to be coming up. And we're going to see whether we can put any faith in the law that prevented the county from taking a quarter million dollars of our tax money to persuade just one half the people, plus 3%, to raise not just their taxes, like in democracy— if just 50% plus one decides to raise taxes, that means they raise taxes on the other 49% or almost 50% less one, right? If 50% plus one voted for it and 40 and 50% less one voted against it, all a hundred percent got to pay the tax. That isn't fair. And that's what the law was designed for. It said the, the, Citizens of the state of California said on tax increases, at least two-thirds of the people need to vote that way. So in August, we'll see whether Measure K will prevail or see whether it needs to go to the uh, – not the Supreme Court, but the appeals court of state of California and get out of the local area. Uh, and the odd thing is, is that the justices, the judges, and everybody working in the courts is getting paid out of the same pot of money that w- – is going to benefit from measure K or these tax increases, right? So it's incestuous relationship. Darn it. So now the other thing is I wrote because we just had earth day recently, which is, is just a ridiculous socialist holiday. And I wrote an article. It's in the territorial dispatch. Dot biz, B I Z. The article is green outside, red inside. And the, the slogan wasn't unique to me or original to me. It, it was uh, off a book that I read, bought and read, by James Dellingpole. It's a book called Watermelons, The Green Movement's True Colors. And the book is kind of black with a big watermelon, green watermelon, on it. And then it's opened, and so you can see the red inside. And uh, so you can. See, his point is, hey, the green movement has their front is, looks green and pretty good. But it's communist, it's socialism, it's controlling on the inside. So uh, anyway, I wrote an article about the Green Movement, how it isn't really all about environmentalism and preserving the earth. I just had a, a talk with a friend of mine who's a sophomore in high school, and he was giving his opinion how man was just destroying everything. And I said, well one that's one that's one perspective but what if if you believe god created man and created earth and and god said go and inhabit the earth take care of it and uh multiply in other words have lots of kids and populate the earth like this guy was saying there's so many people that it's destroying everything i said not really it's not really destroying everything and i made some some suggestions that he might look at a different way. And I said, what if the perspective was that God created people to live on the earth? He created the earth for people, not for bugs and creatures, but for, for creatures and bugs, but people were the big event. What if it isn't too complicated? The Bible, I didn't come up with the idea the Bible says it right. So I said, what if, and so, uh, anyway, Dellingpole argues in his, uh, his, his book, it's a very well-written book, and it's very easy to read. You ought to get a copy. You could get it probably for $2 on the Internet off a used bookstore. Watermelons, the green movements, true colors. He's a good writer, good author. And um, so I wrote, wrote about the faux holiday, F-A-U-X holiday, Earth Day 2019. And uh, so anyway, uh, if you look at uh, – so the, environment, the environmental movement, their feeling is that man – Left to his own devices, mankind will destroy the earth, and has for for all these many bajillion years. Now, I don't think the earth's been here that long, but that's another argument. But I, the argument works against if the environmental movement believes that the earth's been here for millions of years, then it should we should have destroyed it long ago. But my my version is we haven't been here that long. But the the fact is, I don't believe man's destroying anything. Uh, do you do people pollute do people throw garbage in front of my house or taco bell garbage i live behind taco bell or do do people pull pour paint out and it gets into the like do homeless people uh defecate and urinate and go dump garbage in the the clean river water yeah they do do farm chemicals get dumped in the clean river water by criminal types yeah they do but But most of the people are environmentally conscious and would never do such a thing. So the environmental movement's approach has been to turn – to try to turn all the property back to the government, which is socialism. In other words, that's – when Vietnam got overrun by communists in 1975, they – anybody that owned any property or had any connections to the government – They had to turn over, in other words, the government took over all the property, all the businesses, and then they told everybody where to go to work, right? So in the environmental movement's philosophy, that's a good approach, right? But the approach actually starved millions of people. The environmental movement... um, Instead of taking over businesses right now, that's too big of a mouthful or leap right now in the United States. But the way they started was they started taking over public lands that are actually owned or controlled by the government and or or the state government, city government, county government, federal government. Some of it is called just open open lands. Some of it is a national park, state park. Some of it are reserves. In other words, there are different types of uh, ways to describe these places or control them. And a lot of that millions and millions of acres over the years were leased back on 99 year leases to ranchers and farmers who not only use the land to feed cattle and horses or whatever, farm it, but they manage the land and they they made sure it didn't have erosion and and they. They took care of blocking it from having horrendous forest fires. And they, in other words, they managed the land and they wanted to have good grasses to come back. And they didn't want to over over uh, trounce, you know, they didn't want to have too many cattle on the land or they knew how many herd, how many flock, how many herd to put on the land and how to take care of the grasses to have them come back healthily, how to fertilize them, how to take care of them, how to manage the water and uh, so the environmental movement was that that individuals are so greedy and capitalist that they would suck everything out of the land. They would destroy it and then move on. But they really didn't. A, a real honest look at our forefathers, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen hundreds. 1900s were that they actually were, were conservationists. Most of them were conservationists. And, you know, there's always exceptions to everything, just like the laws to not murder. We've always said laws to not murder, but a certain amount of people go out and murder people, but not a lot, just a handful. So uh, so anyway, the environmental movement has said, listen, and they've persuaded the deep state or the bureaucratic leaders in the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the Bureau of the Interior and all these different big, big, big government bureaucracies that have come up in the last 30 years, Uh, they have convinced them to take over farms and to take over uh, various properties and to run the farmers off. What's happened is that they've actually destroyed the land and the lack of Someone managing the land. You remember in in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, you may not believe this, but it's fascinating what it says. God put man to a couple in the garden and said, take care of it and manage it. He didn't say, just let it all go to hell. Right. Which that's the environmental approach is let it go wild. And what happened if you, if you imagine, like I was talking to this youngster the other day and I said, you know, before there were people dwelling in the Sacramento Valley, billions of trees did not exist. And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, you ever seen, I said, I planted 8,000 pomegranate trees once uh, on a, a small plot of ground. God didn't do that. The environmentalists didn't do that. And before I planted them there, it was barren ground. So those pomegranate those pomegranate trees put off oxygen and took in carbon dioxide and provided tons and tons of pomegranates for people to eat and they didn't they actually helped the environment they helped feed people and they helped the environment so i said when we developed yeah we asphalted over and we paved over a lot in the sacramento valley but the fact is the development of trees and farms have have benefited the ecosystem so, But what's happened is with the environmentalists is they shut down the timber industry, which the timber industry, they managed the forest back in the day, and they cut out the undergrowth, cut out the dead trees. And then if they ever had a fire, it didn't have the undergrowth to burn, so the big trees did not burn down. It just burned along, along the, the bottom, the grasses and small shrubs, but it didn't create these horrendous fires. But I like I mentioned to the, the guy the other day, I said, if you let the forest go and get overgrown and overgrown and overgrown, if a, if a lightning strikes anywhere there, there's no firefighting crew known to man that could put that fire out. It's the same way that it's interesting in our developed area around here. People are, are out mowing down fields right now. Maybe there's a couple acre field between housing subdivisions and they're forced by the fire department in the city to, to keep those grasses down. Why? Because if they just let them go and and there's more uh, fuel for the fire, if somebody throws a cigarette out or a lightning strikes or something happens, it's going to catch the whole place on fire and burn everything up. Now that's, what's been happening with California fires. And that's why an entire city called paradise in Northern California, the entire city, which was up in a forest area, But an entire city of thousands of people with a hospital in high school and grammar schools, the entire thing burnt down because of a lack of management, because we bought this environmentalist doctrine that man is the problem. And if man would just leave it all alone, it would all go great. But it doesn't go great because we have these Armageddon sized fires because nature Eventually, will wipe out an entire forest. You think, oh, well, we don't want mankind to go in and harvest the trees. Then it's going to hurt some bird. Well, what happens? How many birds get killed when like a hor- horrific fire comes through and it out? It burns and the heat gets so hot that a bird doesn't even have to get in the fire. It just melts it. Billions and billions of birds were killed in the. In the paradise, and insects and creatures were killed in the Paradise Fire. You don't hear any environmentalists talk about it now. In the mail this week, in fact, I think I got it today. It says the threat of wildfires in Yuba County is high. That's what it says, and it shows a picture of a house, and it shows uh, it. It shows a, like from an airplane view, and then it shows uh, circles around it on how they want you to create a defensible space. Now, it's interesting that government has this concept of how to protect your house. And it says a defensible space of 100 feet around your house is required by law. They're going to say you're going to do it or we're going to we're going to arrest you. So it says clean an area 30 feet immediately surrounding your house. What's that mean? They explain it. They say spacing between the plants and it says that means cutting down all kinds of high grass in that 30 feet area, right? You can have big trees, it says, but you gotta said large trees do not need to be removed as long as they are, there are no plants surrounding them. So you can have grass, green grass and tall trees, big trees, but not a lot of shrubs, right? Cause they fuel the bottom of the trees to get catch on fire, right? So they have a 30 feet zone and then they have an additional 70 feet zone to total a hundred feet. That they want you to manage that little forest, that little property around your house, a hundred feet all the way around. Now they do that even in the city of Marysville, so to speak. That there's a lot that is unkept or that's unbuilt. They ma- they make them go over there and mow it down. So it's interesting that anywhere that there's anybody living, you got to follow these rules. But then outside of those areas, the environmentalists take over and they say, we don't want anybody to come into these areas. And uh, that started under under the Clinton administration. And they passed laws to and I don't I have them here, but I don't want to take the time to like have to quote them and the dates and all that. You just have to trust me. You can look them up, actually. There's environmentalist laws that happened under the Clinton administration and then the Obama administration that forbid uh, loggers to go in and take timber out and one of them was if uh, some of you in Northern California and Southern Oregon will remember the uh, the situation with the spotted owl and the situation with the spotted owl was they claimed that that human beings were the ones that were causing the problem with they thought the spotted owl was was not as plentiful as it used to be. So they said the reason is that loggers go in and cut down trees. They weren't cutting down all the trees, but they cut down enough trees and they didn't have a place to nest. Da 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 Well, they were a hundred percent wrong. The science was wrong, but they shut down the entire timber industry. And uh, so the fact is the uh, people had to leave. Towns actually shut down and uh, people moved out and logging roads that were cut that used to be logging road would serve as a way to get in and out but they also served as fire breaks if grasses started to burn firefighters could they could fight it off these roads but as the roads fell apart and got overgrown when a fire started there was no way to stop it they just it got away from they had to just let it burn and it destroyed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres and caused billions of dollars in damage and we've never had as much damage as we have right now as we've had right now in the uh, the state of California now i don 't know whether I can find this uh, quickly let's see oh here we are. It's right down at the last on my list so let's see if I can find it really quick and and give you a little so it's talking about PG&E here. It says California wildfire prevention, unplugging grandma's ventilator. And the article uh, written by Chris Street for the American thinker uh, talks about the fact that PG&E has now uh, and the legislature has agreed that during a windy day in Northern California, if it's a certain lack of humidity, they can shut off all the power. Well, that's incredible where you know, that's like a third world nation where you're living. And so power could just go off. So you're running a business or or you you have a, a machine that's a medical machine in your house. You're going to have to have backup power to run your your operation. So anyway, they they're creating these all these new systems that we never needed before. We didn't need to shut off the power to everybody in northern California to prevent wildfires. We, we would always have some fires, but they were manageable fires, right? In other words, the goal of a fire fighting operation in Yuba City and Marysville, uh, they aren't saying they're going to prevent every fire from starting. That's impossible. But what they do is they try to knock the fire down before it destroys the whole house and surely before it burns into the next house or the next house, right? So this says California suffered more and larger wildfires since the Clinton administration in 1994 adopted the Northwest Forest Plan. What is that plan? It prioritized protecting endangered species, water quality, and old growth forests in 4.5 million acres of Northern California National Forest. So, So they say they protected old growth forests, big trees so they wouldn't allow them to go in and cut out dead trees or undergrowth so what happens they can't pre- pre- uh, prevent a forest fire from starting so once one starts in these in these areas where people cannot go anymore and you cannot manage the forest what happens is is the entire forest old growth young growth everything every every critter Every bird, every snail, everything is cremated. Think about it. As a result, Chris Street says, wildfires become bigger, hotter, and more remote from firefighters from fighting because nobody is back there managing the forests. The Bush administration tried to reverse the policies according to Street But environmentalists used lawsuit after lawsuit until the Obama administration reinstated the anti-logging policies and supported Governor Brown. This is Jerry Brown's California Forest Best Practices 2015 rule that that led to even less logging and more road abandonments. So if you say why – when when I say government created these problems, they – they weren't problems uh, that all of a sudden we had a, a lack of knowledge about. I mean, our forefathers back in the 1800s had more knowledge about managing forests than we're using today. And they had less less problems than we have today. Water quality was better than today. It says that the 129,582 U.S. wildfires that burned 18, almost 19 million acres between 2017 and 18. California accounted for 15% of the fires and 20% of the area burned. So basically what the environmentalist said, people are the problem. What we need to do is get people as far away from nature as possible and really manage whatever contact people have with nature. It needs to be managed and controlled. And we need to get all the businesses that oper- operated in the forest, whether it's uh, logging or whatever type of business, uh, mining, logging, anything to do with the forest, we need it out. Well, the here's the fact. You know, it's interesting. I find people because I've worked with police and fire for years. Whether it's cr- crime, whether it's whether it's fire prevention, people don't know a lot what's going on. And so they operate with a lot of assumption and myths. So uh, a lot of people think that people start a lot of fires. But the fact is, if people didn't start any fire this year, if we went in California and no human being started a fire, there would be fires. And you think, well, how, how would they start? Lightning starts a lot of them. That's what firefighters will tell you. Lightning strikes in a forest and starts a fire. That's just the way it is. If lightning hits a house, it'll start the house on fire. So the fact is that we've had the environmentalists have said, oh, we know what's going on. And the politicians have believed them. And for 40, 50 years now, we have been following their policies that have not only destroyed billions and billions of dollars of good timber that could have been used to build homes or any other kind of thing could have been used, uh, that those, those forests could have been preserved and wildlife. We'd had more wildlife we can shake a stick at, but wildlife cannot out, outrun a fire. In fact, humans can't even outrun a lot of fires and we've had a lot of people die. In fact, a guy that I went to high school with, uh, lost his, uh, his grandkids in the the Napa fire. And they were burned not up in the forest in the Santa Rosa fire. They were burned right up where they live in a subdivision, just like in East Marysville. The fire came through, went right from the forest right into the neighborhood and burned them up. And uh, they were kids probably elementary, mid school, middle school and high school age. So anyway, so interesting that this Yuba County brochure, Prepare for Fire Season, what it advocates the government does not follow and and what it advocates is good it's good what they advocate they say hey 30 feet out clean up we don't we don't want anything burnable 30 feet out we want go ahead and leave your big shade trees <clears throat> and if you you can have some shrubs but but irrigate right have green grass irrigate but no shrubs around the bottom of the trees, right? Because you don't want to torch the bottom of the tree. And then it says, then we have a different type of buffer on zone two. Zone two is 70 more feet out. And what it says is if you do this, it improves the chance of stopping a wildfire before it destroys your home or business. Large trees do not need to be removed as long as there are no plants. So the environmentalists said they want to, the the Clinton thing, we want to protect old-growth forests. You know what I would have said? Then let loggers come in and just cut out the scrub trees, the dead trees, and uh, give them contracts to clean out the undergr- underbrush. Pay the loggers to clean out the underbrush and and pulp it out, so you don't have any fodder for the fire to run in. So, your old growth will continue to be old growth instead, what happened is we had such horrific fires that everything burned up the old growth, the new growth, the scrub growth, the crap growth the the uh the you know the scrub the scrub bushes everything burned up and and it take two de- two three generations to even get a forest started in there anymore uh I just drove through uh, i had to go over and in, uh, Napa. And I drove through some of the fire areas and, uh, and I, I was amazed it, there's green starting to come back already, but it's like, Hey, that's only one year since the fire. So what difference does it make? It's just one year, but they're not, they'll not have forests there in, in the next generation or two. Uh So anyway, it's an interesting thing. We spent all this money to tell people to clean up around their house. But yet we have a government doctrine in the state of California that actually advocates against what they're teaching at the local level on how to how to save your life. So you would think if I'm going to save my house, why wouldn't I want to save the trees and all the creatures out in the forest by using some of the same techniques in the local level and let people actually make money off doing our cleaning for them, right? It's 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 kind of crazy, uh, but that's that's the craziness of environmentalists, liberal vi- environmentalists that are controlling, uh, controlling the uh, the legislation in the in the environment. I want to mention another one of our supporters as we're getting down towards winding down today, and that's my friend Ted. Uh, I was going to say Ted Olbrich, but he's a guy I work with in Cambodia, but it's actually Ted, uh, Ted Holmes and Ted and Dave Greenitz and I did De- Greenitz with Greenitz construction and Ted Holmes and I were youngsters together over 40 years ago. I'm older than them, but we were all uh, serving Jesus together as young. Uh, they were young men. Uh, Ted was a young married guy. Then Dave got married and Ted had some, carpentry skills when we met him and then he went on to form a construction company called ted holmes construction and then he uh, he started a, a business called lift off floor removal which is a business here uh locates uh, operates in northern california and even goes into nevada some and they help uh remove floors so you can put down a new floor they do it fast and prepare the floor. If you, if you like one of those concrete, cool concrete finished floors and you want to remove your carpet or you want to remove your tile or you want to remove something, you can, uh, you can call the, uh, lift off floors and they'll fix you up. But the, the reason I bring up Ted Holmes is, is the plumbing doctor and that operates in Uban Sutter counties. And, uh, they're out there 24 hours a day you can call them 24 hours a day and they'll actually respond and you can reach them at 530 671 530-671-9111 and um, they will get your job done for you so you know I'm I'm I live in an old home over in Marysville built in 1937 so over the years it's been a very solid home but I've replaced things and had to redecorate. So I've used Dave as, to help me remodel and fix things, break. You know, everything, wood, things break, right? You wear things out. My body wears out so that the house wears out. Uh, so we've kept it up and done the maintenance. And so Ted has done the plumbing for me. And so he's replaced uh, faucets, fixed my toilet, you know, when it wasn't flushing properly. Cleaned out the sewer when the water wasn't going the right direction when I told it to. Wasn't paying attention. Hot, put in new hot water heaters. Uh, put new, you know, because I complained about how high the water costs were in Marysville. He said, Lou, we can cut the cut your water usage in your toilets. Did you know that that your toilets use a lot of water? Outside, most of the water you use, if you have a lawn and garden, you use most of your water outdoors. But... You actually can. You know, the next thing is your indoor use and and showers and and uh, toilets use a lot of water unless you're careful. But now you can you can cut that way way down by having some of these water saver toilets and water saver water heads. Well, plumbing doctor saved me a lot of money. I bought bought them from them. They put them in. I'm a happy camper. Cut my cost to cow water, which is a lot. So uh, check out Plumbing Doctor, 530-671-9111. Greenwich Construction, if you want to call Dave Greenwich, you can call him, 682-9602, 530-area code, 530-682-9602. Or if you want to hook up with Monty Hecker, you need somebody to solve some security areas around your house or your business or your property. You've got things you can't figure out, and you can't you can't figure it out with the police, or they can't provide you the services you need. You can call him at 530-749-0280, and actually, Monty will actually put you to work. You think, I like this stuff. I want to get involved in this. He'll put you to work. He'll give you a live scan. He can do notary for you, do CT, uh, C, the uh, concealed weapon permit, C, CPW uh, license uh, for you, he'll do it all. So, uh, that's it for this week. This is, uh, May 4th and we'll be back in a week. We'll do another show. So, uh, tell your friends, if you like the show, tell them about no hostages or no hostages radio, no hostage radio or no hostages radio.com. And, uh, we'll just keep on keeping on until we decide not to, then we'll take a break. So, uh, one of my friends contacted me, uh, they do, uh, They call themselves the tie dye barn. And I I didn't even know who they were. They said, we've been listening. Couldn't figure out where you went when you went off the radio. So I contacted them. I found their email and they travel all over doing tie dye. They're hippies from the 60s. And uh, so you can go on. I think they have a website, tie dye barn. You can probably find our our Facebook and website tie dye barn. And uh, you can buy your shirts online. If you like tie dye, you can get their shirts or sweatshirts. And I've never met them yet, but I looked at all their stuff, and they said, Lou, we're going to be on the road. To, we do state fairs and do these big events, and and so we're going to be selling our shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we're going to listen to you on the road. So tie-dye barn people, have a good one. Thanks for listening, and, and I appreciate doing the show. This is our fifth episode. We're coming back, hopefully, Lord willing, for a six next week. See you later. Well, have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time.
1: We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are,